We got big breaking news. Um, so we're just going to jump right into the show tonight and, uh, and, and talk about it. We have a really great guest, Christopher Rufo, who is responsible solely for getting Donald Trump to ban these critical race theory trainings. Right? Is that fair? Not solely, but uh, I was the catalyst for giving it you all the credit. Started it off, and then some very good people, including Tucker Carlson, and then the White House staff really ran and took the ball. And right on, right on. Yeah. So uh, we've got some big news. We're, I'm gonna uh, we'll jump into it in a second. Just do the regular intro for today. Uh, welcome to the show. We're having internet trouble. Welcome to uh, living in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> which is we're we're actually going to talk about being in the middle of nowhere. So hopefully the the show doesn't cut out too bad. Because this is significant to what we're going to be talking about. We have we have news on Kyle Rittenhouse. So, uh, of course, I'm Tim Pools, Tim Cast IRL Podcast. We got Ian. He's chilling. Hello, everyone. We got Lydia. She's producing. Hi, guys. Christopher Rufo is our guest. And let's just jump straight into the news. Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be extradited. We've got the uh, story here. Teenage Kenosha riot gunman Kyle Rittenhouse will be extradited to Wisconsin to face murder charges for shooting dead two left-wing protesters. And, of course, he shot a third person. And that's... That that's about it. I mean, that's that's the gist of the news. But we've got uh man, National Guard called into Philadelphia. The 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 likelihood, I suppose, everyone's on everyone's mind with the election coming up. It's what what is uh, today's Friday night. Mm-hmm. This is usually when things get heated. It's the weekends when riots kick off. Now we're hearing that they're going to be extra in Kyle Rittenhouse, which is, I guess, in in a sense. In terms of simmering everything down, good news. I'm sure for those, I don't know if it's good news or bad news for Kyle himself. I don't, yeah, I don't know what the, what the lawyers are saying. I guess they're worried about his safety, so they want him to go, you know, face trial or whatever. But this might maybe be some good things for the rioters. I don't know. I don't think there's anything that's going to make them calm down. Now, as we get into election day, which is three days now. Oh my gosh. Three days. Three more days. So, so Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And then mm-hmm. Tuesday will be it. So it's kind of four days. It's going to get spicy. It's going to get real crazy. So uh, for those that aren't familiar, uh, Christopher Rufo, you, you, I, I don't want to say what you exactly specialize in, but you definitely do cover critical race theory, which is like this wokeness stuff. So I think you might have a lot of insights into the motivations of at least some of the rioters and some of the things they've been protesting and saying, as well as the actions taken by the president. I don't know if you want to just mention a bit about what you do in... Yeah, I, w- I will. And, and, you know, really to your point about the unrest, I was in D.C. all day today. I was meeting at the White House and I went out to Georgetown last night. And uh, throughout the city, uh, businesses are now boarding up all their windows. They're putting up fencing. They're putting up barriers. They're putting up fortifications. Um, the the kind of feeling just walking through the city um, is that things are going to pop off with mm-hmm. almost a 100 percent degree of certainty. And my thought is that you know, a lot of these folks are 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 looking for any kind of rationale uh, for going out in the streets. So I, I think that uh, it, it's very likely to get uh, to get ugly, to get feisty uh, everywhere. On the election night and tomorrow's a full moon. Oh no! <laughs> oh, dude! Of course it is. Oh my god! Oh, all tides. Bodies are water. Yeah. No, no, but but uh, we were we were just driving back because we're trying to get set up for this. We're doing this big party. We're gonna have yeah. a bunch of people here and. Um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of nowhere, elevated, surrounded by a bunch of other armed residents. It's a really interesting property. And uh, we're coming back and I'm looking at the moon and it is ominous. It's big, man. It's, I was driving up here it? and saying like, whoa, I almost hit three deer on the oh, way in man. here. Yeah. Oh. There, I was there, like, there's some vibes happening. Yeah. yeah. For real. <laughs> Dude, people don't, you want, you want to know some, some true facts? More crime is committed during full moons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? 
Dude, the tides. No, the, the moon I heard well, used on. to be closer to the earth and would would have this real oval shape going around the earth and it would pull the tides like hundreds of feet in the air. That was a long yeah. time ago. A really but long time ago. There's a really simple reason why more crime is committed during a full moon. Light? It's it's brighter out. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, you, can, you can see. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone in the middle of nowhere. You know what's really, really cool is when, because uh, I grew up in Chicago, we would go to the lake during a new moon and it was the scariest thing. You look out into the lake and it was a void. Like yeah. you couldn't see anything. You're That's like, whoa. Cool. But you hear the water and like that's the air you fall and you die. Yeah. During a full moon, you can see everything. It's like reflecting. So we got a full moon and it's going to be a Saturday night full moon just before the election. Halloween. While these riots are going off on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> 2020. Oh, 2020. 2020. It doesn't disappoint. It does not, man. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I guess, look, um, we, I wanted to open it with, with this big update on, on what's going on with Kyle Rittenhouse. It doesn't, it, it's not definitive of anything particularly, but it does have a lot to do with the unrest we're seeing, what's going to happen. We got the election coming up and there's, a, there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this. I don't know if they're still doing it, but I don't know if you heard this. You know, you mentioned they're boarding things up. Did you hear that Walmart was taking the guns off the shelves and hiding the ammo? Yeah, I'm just, I, I, I didn't hear that, but I, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are in kind of siege mentality. I've, I even heard a friend said there's a shortage of toilet paper again. Yeah, um, at there the, is. Which is w- also weird. It's like, when did this become the panic buying thing? If you want to survive, I feel like toilet paper <laughs> is very far down Kinda on low, the list. Right? Yeah. Did, did, did you see yeah. uh, you see what's going on in Paris? I've seen a little bit of it. Yeah, like tens yeah. of thousands of cars flooding the highways, all gridlocked for miles. Yeah. Like they're gridlocked because when a traffic jam is so big, no car can move. Yeah, I don't know if you ever played that game. It's called gridlock, where you have yeah. all, you have, you have street and all the cars, and you got to move the car to like figure out how to break the gridlock. Oh, but there's like when you have a car in every direction going, you know, up, down, left, right, or north, south, east, west, they all block each other, and so none of the cars can move. In Paris, they're doing new draconian lockdowns mm-hmm. where you have to have your papers if you want to go outside, proving you have a right to go outside. This is crazy. So people jump in their cars and they take off trying to flee the city. Stores are getting raided once again. It's like just like it was back in March. It's happening again. And it's a full moon. It's Halloween. It's election night. Lydia's not is, wearing her mask. It's true. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. You're on. right. Yeah. Oh, Chris, I wonder if on, this yeah. is like uh, the end of the simulation. It's it. You know, the culmination. It's the best part. That's for sure. <laughs> I love we it. Were, uh, we were just hanging out. Uh, are you familiar with simulation theory? Uh, like the singularity, like Ray Kurzweil or uh, like, like, or the, like, like the matrix. Uni- yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. our universe is a simulation of some yeah, sort. Yeah. 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 We were just we were just hanging out. And I was like, what if what if we're in this simulation? And everything we're doing feels like the most important thing ever. And there's like Donald Trump is president and there's a crime wave and riots and things are exploding. And then they're like arming the nukes and the dictators are getting ready. And the guys running the simulation are actually just tracking like the Peruvian dung beetles mating cycle. (laughs) And so like we're in this simulation, but they're just like sitting at a computer being like, hey, did you see that in the simulation? Donald Trump is president. Oh, did you look at that? Anyway, look at the dung beetles. They're mating this season. Like they have. A completely different kind of thought process and brain. Their interests mm-hmm. are, are misaligned with ours. Yeah, yeah it's like possible. we think we're important. We have nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's all about those so, dumb beetles. Yeah, it's man. It's, it's, it's crazy to see all this stuff like starting to ignite uh, again. Cause I'll tell you, man, usually on Fridays, news is slow and boring. Yeah. You know? And then all of a sudden, uh, today it was just <laughs> like, whoa, there's riots across Europe because of COVID lockdown stuff, toilet paper shortages again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we got DC boarding up. National Guard deployed in Philadelphia. Yeah. Riots in New York. Uh, And now something just happened in... Where did it happen? We we just had another... We just had another shooting of some guy. Another, Yeah. Yeah. I I, I saw it on Twitter. Man, I took a nap, guys. Give me a break. It was a dude who was shooting at cops, and the cops killed him, and now there's 
you know, riders coming out Friday night too. So, oh man, dude, yeah, Wild. man. So let's just let's just do this. I, I you went on uh, uh, Fox News and you called on the president to ban critical race theory. Yeah, Is that's, that that's how it happened. I, and it was a it was a really a kind of a, a process. And um, I did a number of stories on critical race theory in government agencies. So the first one was in Seattle, um, where the Seattle Office of Civil Rights, ironically enough, was hosting uh, racially segregated diversity trainings. And the training for white employees was called uh, Interrupting Whiteness and Internalized Racial Superiority. Uh, so they would have white employees come in, they would be kind of forced uh, to stand to say, I'm I'm Karen. Uh, I'm a I'm a she, her. Uh, I'm white, and um, and then essentially admit and then deconstruct their complicity in white supremacy. Struggle Not sessions. Struggle sessions. I mean, and had all the documentation and the charts and the graphs and objectivity is racist and et cetera, et cetera. And and I kind of got my hands on these documents through a public records request, and I said. This is crazy, but it's outside of my normal field of expertise, which for the last two years has been poverty, homelessness, addiction, mm. uh, and urban disorder. But I said, you know what? I'm going to throw this up on Twitter, uh, where I'm just kind of using my Twitter account, kind of starting, and, and I'll see what happens. And then it's just, boom. So then I write an article about it in City Journal, and I think it went to the New York Post. And then I started just getting deluged with leakers and whistleblowers from everywhere wow. in the government. I, all of a sudden, my in, inbox is just like, I'm in the Treasury Department. I'm in the FBI. I'm in the IRS. Wow. I'm in the, you know, the the EPA. I'm in the, the Justice Department. And they're doing the same stuff. And that's the moment I said, I've stumbled on something that's big important. and something that is happening to a lot of people. And people are saying, hey, look, we can't oppose this. I can't get up and say, I think this is wrong. Um, I'll get you know, crucified. I'll get uh, retaliated against. I'll lose my job. I'll get, you know, kind of turned into a pariah at the office. Um, but I really am deeply upset about this and it's wrong and it's a waste of money. So then I just went, did story after story after story and just, you know, worked up the media chain, um, dropped it on Twitter first, linked to an article in City Journal or the New York Post or another publication. Um, and then from there, you know, booked on, on Laura Ingram, booked on Tucker. Wow. And, um, and after I did that process four or five times, um, I'd created enough of an evidence base um, where it's persuasive that this is happening in many places. And then um, Tucker's producer called me and he said, hey, look, I want you to do the monologue with Tucker Carlson tonight and just lay it out. Wow. And I said, that's cool. Let's do it. Sounds and awesome. he says, And he says, all right, you got two hours. Write the monologue that you want to do. Tucker will set you up and then, and then, and then do it. And I said, cool. all right, cool. So I'm, I'm driving up to the studio and, um, all right, cool. The, you know, read it off the teleprompter and then, and then we'll do it. And then I get a call to say, we couldn't book a teleprompter. Oh, <laughs> and I said, okay. And he said, you're just going to have to just wing it. You have, <laughs> oh, snap. You have three and a half minutes. You just have to vibe on it. And you're in a dark room. There's lights. You yeah. don't see him. You just hear him in a little earpiece. And then, um, and then I said, all right, I got this. Let's do it. And, and, uh, started feeling those butterflies a little <laughs> bit. And, uh, and then Tucker sets it up beautifully. And then, um, and then I honestly, I just kind of blacked out. I just like, just, you know, just got into the flow of it and, um, and just spitfire, just rattled it out, outlined the research, um, you know, quoted the best that I could, kind of paraphrasing what happened. And then at the very end, something I had rehearsed and on, on the way, on the kind of riding in my truck on the way up to Seattle, I said, you know, and then I call on the president of the United States to immediately issue an executive order abolishing critical race theory in the federal government. Um, 
just said, what, what the hell? Go for it. You know, yeah. like do it. And, um, and then finish up the segment. And, um, I just had a intuition, a feeling. I said like this hit, like this, like I, you know, you know, pulling back from 50 yards and, and hit the target. Um, and it worked. And it worked. And then the next morning about 7 a.m., I'm, I'm up with my kids, you know, drinking coffee. And um, I get a call on my cell phone from a 202 number mm-hmm. in D.C., right? Mm-hmm. I say, okay, it worked. <laughs> yes. <Like> something <laughs> yes. happened. And then, Someone's calling me. And then I get a call. And, uh, I, you know, I've said this before, so it's, it's not really private information. And he says, you know, Christopher, this is Mark Meadows, uh, the chief of staff. I'm calling on behalf of the president. Um, you know, he saw your segment on Tucker Carlson. He's Ooh. tasked me to take immediate action. Wow. And I said, holy, you know, like this is, this is, this is the real deal. So, um, and then from there, I thought, I don't know the bureaucratic process. I think it's going to go through a a process and a study committee and and the typical DC process where they want to do something. And then maybe six months later, it happens Mm -hmm. within 72 hours. The OMB director, Russ Vaught, who I saw today and is an amazing person, um, issued the letter basically saying none of this ever again. Uh, and then three weeks after that, the full executive order uh, signed by the president. Did this ban? So, so what did it ban specifically? What did Trump ban? So it's interesting. It, it's 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 thought of, I think, accurately as a ban on critical race theory trainings in the federal government. Um, but the executive order actually doesn't say critical race theory anywhere in it. What they've done is is really smart. They instead of saying ban critical race theory, well, what is critical race theory? The critical race theorists and the kind of progressives who kind of espouse that ideology um, change language at an amazingly rapid right. rate. They they throw so up a term. Actually, you talk can't about it. debate it. You can't talk about it. You can't think about it. It's so fast. And these languages they burn right. Like they're going to toss up, you know, some some new phrase. Wimixen. It's 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 persuasive for a quick minute, and then everyone hates it, and then they just recycle it with something yeah. new. So what they said is we're going to categorize divisive concepts. And the divisive concepts are really simple. You can't stereotype, scapegoat, or demean people on the basis of their sex or their race. Um, that's it. That's already illegal. That's already illegal. <laughs> um, it, it's already illegal, but they, they basically codified it in, right. a, in, in, in within the executive agencies. Uh, they gave a directive saying anything that falls under these divisive concepts, these categories of stereotyping, scapegoat, and demeaning. And... And then they did something really brilliant. They said, not only in the federal agencies and the military, but if you want to do business with the federal government, if you're a large corporation, most of them are large corporations, um, you can no longer do this anywhere in your business because so, we don't we don't want to work with people who stereotype, scapegoat, and demean. So this is so basically what they're getting rid of. We, uh, it's like sending white people on retreats. I guess was one of the things on your website. They had all the white men go and like deconstruct their stuff or identity or whatever. Yeah, so exactly. So one of the most kind of egregious examples was the Sandia National Laboratories. Uh, this is the laboratory uh, that designs our nuclear arsenal. Right. So th- this is a serious thing. It's not like the Department of, you know, Dietary Guidelines somewhere <laughs> deep in the health sector. I mean, these people design our nukes that protect the United States of America. This is a serious thing. And they had basically, from the directives from the very top, they had said, you know, we need to address our white privilege within the the national laboratories. And we've hired a, a diversity training firm, literally called, this is the firm that contracted with the federal agency, white men as full diversity partners. And they specialize in, in what they did for the for the for the trainers here, they took white male executives, 
They put him on a three-day retreat at a kind of luxury resort in New Mexico. And they set up this kind of grueling process where they were saying, you have to deconstruct your white male identity. Um, they put up on the board and had people kind of, they had, they kind of fished for people to make associations and said, well, white male culture is associated with uh, mass killings, the KKK, MAGA hats, white supremacy. Um, these are all of the kind of evils that are lurking within your identity um, to the, the top nuclear weapons engineers in the world. And then we're going to spend the next day, three days, deconstructing that identity um, and forcing you to confront your white privilege, your male privilege, your heterosexual sexual privilege. Um, and then at the end of it, they had them write letters to these kind of imaginary mm -hmm. women and people of color, um, much along the lines of a kind of Chinese struggle session. They're saying you need to now people are writing a these grown men you know, being kind of bullied into writing, I am sorry for my privilege. It's embarrassing. And it's completely outrageous. I don't remember where I was reading this. Maybe you guys might remember where yeah. they were talking about the Chinese manipulation technique for POWs. Oh, yeah. What they would do is they wouldn't ever have them come out and be extremely overt. They would say, if you want to eat, you have to just simply write that the United States is not perfect. Little things. Yeah. Little tiny things. Mm -hmm. and, they'd be, and, yeah. and they'd be like, oh, well, that's fine. I mean, of course, of course, not perfect. Then the next time they would say, tell us one thing you wish you could change about the United States. And that was the way they opened the door into getting them to saying, you know, well, I've already said that. I can certainly say this. And the amazing thing is that they do it with social pressure. That's really the kind of most powerful part of this is that if you don't comply, um, you are somehow bad or you endorse some bad thing. So people's fear, uh, people, a lot of these folks in the government agencies are middle-aged people with families waiting for a pension. They don't right. want to rock the boat. So they just do it. And as soon as it's like a sales technique, um, Hey man, you know, um, uh, can I stop you for a second? Sure. As soon as you get the first <clears throat> yes, I've hooked you in. Mm -hmm. You don't even need a yes. That's I like a sales technique from, you know, I, 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 I did door to door sales when I was a teenager. Like they always get the first yes, right? You don't need a yes. You don't even need I a used yes. To, I used to do street fundraising, fundraising. You know how I would do? What? The, so they, they do these trainings for people on like how to stop people. Hey, do you have a minute to talk about the environment? No, yeah. I don't do that. You know what I would do? I walk up and go, Hey, and stick my hand out. Yeah. And they would immediately grab my hand and I'd shake it. I'm here to talk to you about why it's you're a physical yes. Yeah. As yeah. soon as they reach down to shake, and everyone does, every yeah. person yep. will shake your hand. They can't yeah. leave while you're shaking your hands. And you got them for about 10 seconds and you say, now let me show you this. And you put the clipboard it's in the their foundation hand. of your success. Yeah, man. That's the, the strong handshake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's not about strong. It's, it's that <laughs> yeah. the, the really good fundraisers would say, shake their hand. Yeah. And then before you're done, you're handing them the clipboard. They grab it and now they're holding your stuff and do not take it back. So you were like raising money for the environment Greenpeace. or for Greenpeace. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, among yeah. many other companies. <laughs> yeah. And so this is it. If they're holding your clipboard and they try giving it back to you, you just you know, cross your arms or you don't want to cross your arms. It's, 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 it's defensive. So you just like hold your hands together yeah. and act like you don't realize what they're trying to do. But it's very hard to not shake the hand. And right. so if you're in a room with all of your peers and, and high status people and you're in a government agency and, and everyone says you have to get up and identify yourself as a white male and say that, you know, you're, you're here to deconstruct your identity. It's very hard to just say, I'm going to sit down and I'm not going to do it. Right. So, and then the, the, the critical okay. race theorists in, to their credit, they've constructed the argument in a really ingenious way. It's almost constructed like an intellectual mousetrap where if you dissent, if you disagree, embedded in their argument, if you disagree, that's an admission of guilt. 
So, oh, yeah. Oh, well, you don't agree with this? Well, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. your white privilege. Right. That's your white fragility. That's your internalized racial dominance or oppression. Um, so they've created a category that is psychological in nature, that is that is new, that is distinct from old forms of manipulation, and even unconscious bias, right? I mean, what is unconscious bias? Is it, Are they preferences, experiences? Can you measure it? Is it valid? A lot of real questions about that, but, you know, lost in that is we've moved from a society to our credit that has moved away from conscious bias, discrimination, and racism. That's a part of the American history. To now we're worried about deep in the recesses of your subconscious, is there some hidden preference that we can measure and try to change? We're, we're, we're not doing kind of mind, con- like it's not even like behavior control. It's a form of kind of uh, kind of social control. It's a form of kind of um, so deep kind of psychological conditioning, and there, there, it's no there, good. There's a bunch of different things within it, but I'll, I'll say there's a couple things. One, when you talk about the nuclear arsenal, it seems like a virus, like a computer virus, an idea virus, was infected in some people and is now demoralizing and crippling our ability to function as a nation. Because you've got people who, how are we supposed to have a national defense if America is inherently racist and white people, this, that, and that? But the other thing I think is... Uh, well, I, I, I don't want to go as, to far, as far as to say that, there, that this was intentionally done. But the, the general idea I'm bringing up is if this is reaching so many different facets of our, of our country, you have the partisan divide between – look, a lot of people have said it's, it's the culture war is libertarian versus authoritarian, authoritarian, nationalist versus globalist. It could be woke versus anti-woke. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. If you have people – who believe in an ideology with no real structure. It's just a chaotic, amorphous, destructive force. And it's growing because people are scared to speak up against it. Then it is spreading through to into our industries and eventually will just erode it like some kind of mold tearing away at the foundation. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And, and, and it's interesting to see it in, in corporations, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of classical Marxists, uh, if you told them, hey, your ideology that has been adapted over the generations and kind of transposed onto kind of modern conceptions of race will now be in the boardrooms of the major kind of technological and and industrial corporations of the world, they'd look at you like you were completely insane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the thing is that I've talked to executives off the record, um, you know, anonymously rather, um, where say, hey, you know, what's going on? Why is big tech companies, why are they just like all in on this stuff. And they said, because you can't say no. 98% of people in my workforce don't care. They don't want to deal with it. It's like nerdy engineers and then business guys. They don't want anything to do with this stuff. They're apolitical kind of at best. But if you have even three or four people that are kind of committed ideologues that want to bring in and say, we need a diversity program. Sounds good. Diversity is good. Sounds nice. You know, fantastic. And then... And then they get kind of a foothold, and then you can't say no. You don't want to be well, the executives that's saying, oh, we're not going to have a diversity program. Red Bull did. Um, Red Bull did, but Red Bull is a kind of different company, yeah. you know? And, okay. and Red Bull can operate in a different ownership structure, a, a different political culture. And the fact is, a lot of our kind of most high-growth companies in the United States are now physically rooted in prestige, very progressive cities. And this is a defensive maneuver. They're trying to buy—I mean, you know— uh, in, in Seattle now, the new hockey arena sponsored by uh, Bezos is now the climate change arena. Oh my <laughs> I mean, gosh. like, you know, so there, it, it's almost kind of like a, 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 a trying to buy 
some kind of peace and you know what's not gonna work. You know, you know what i think is happening with this critical race theory stuff uh at least as it pertains to this kind of general wokeness that you know people like the progressives use it's it's not really in my opinion there's not really any real core ideology behind it there's just like kind of bits and pieces and fragments that are duct taped together to give them something they can claim is an ideology. And the reason I say this is you can see them contradict themselves, change definitions. And every other day it's like, oh, well, what I said the other day, you don't understand because you're racist or you're wrong. They change everything over and over again. And what I see what they're actually doing is you have individuals who are simply asserting their power and demanding it and they won't back down. So it's almost like you know, you know how a pecking order works with chickens? You put all the chick, all the hens in the space and then they like figure out which one's in charge. They did an experiment where they decided to take what they called super chickens. <laughs> These were the, the hens that like were the dominant of the pack. They took all the super chickens from different packs, put them together. Guess what happened? They all pecked each other to death. They didn't give up. The, the reason why I'm telling you this, when I see people who are like posting things on Facebook and they're saying all this woke stuff and they're white, what I do is to try to uh, 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 communicate with them is a, a, a basic general communication technique where I will find something we agree on. Racism is bad. And then I will take their ideology and use it and demand that they submit to their own ideas. They will not do it. Showing that their only real intention is to be the, 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 the super chicken pecking everyone down. So an example of this would be a white person. I just saw this exchange on Facebook. A white person said, in a post, if you are friends with a black person, but you don't know their pain, then you're not really friends with that black person. And a mixed race black person responded with, excuse me, I don't need a white person telling me about my life and my experiences. I certainly don't need them fighting on behalf. I've dealt with enough racism from both sides. And then this person started arguing with them. You don't understand anything that you're talking about. Clearly showing they don't really believe in an ideology. So I've engaged in conversations like this where I'll say, you know, things like this is really great. Thank you for fighting against racism. We all agree it's bad. It's so important. Now, as I am the underprivileged in this conversation, I would I would appreciate what would, re what would really be helpful in, in mending these things is if you would agree to do this. No, F you. You're racist. I'm in charge. I would disagree with you on two points. Uh, one is I think it is a very r rigorously and re refined and structured ideology that is coherent um, and and has been well articulated for a long time. Uh, and we can go over the kind of but, lineage but, of it. But just to just to mention, I'm referring to the general street walk. I mean, the general street people on anything, man, you'd be like, right, right. you know, so how many people are there? You could ask. A, yeah. What, what I mean specifically yeah. is not the Robin D'Angelo's who are writing a book and yeah. putting these things out. The regular people who are these activists who think they're they're yeah. pushing this ideology are actually just trying to demand you bow to them. Dude, I, I yeah, had this experience yeah. where I was trying to convince. 2016, I was trying to tell my friend I was in LA, I tell him about Hillary Clinton's emails, and I was like, "Dude, <laughs> look at the, he really loved Hillary. She's it's her time, Ian. It's her time." And I'm like, "Dude, look at what she had with Sidney Blumenthal." I was like laying it out for him, and he it was just building and getting angry and angry. And then all of a sudden, he started screaming at me, "It's just your white privilege, Ian." You've got white privilege, and he'd never. We'd been friends for like a decade. He'd never mentioned anything like that. That he was somewhere started, deep inside of him, and he man. was screaming, yeah. and I didn't know what it, to it's, say. It's, I was like, "I'm not racist." No, no, dude. no. It, it was an attempt to just, "I win. I'm in charge." Exactly. Yeah. It was Bend like a weird, uh, irrational uh, power, power play. play yeah. It's a power play. Yeah. So second, second, but that's actually, your points, but that is actually, and this is a really important point to understand. 
that is actually something that is very much in line with their ideology. It's actually an expression of their ideology. Uh, the critical race theorists and the foundational texts of the 1990s explicitly reject objectivity. So it's actually not a contradiction of their ideology to say, well, you know, that's that, this is this. Um, who knows? It's not objective, but my personal narrative. No, no, it, no. It, my lived experience. My lived experience, yeah. right. <laughs> they love adding unnecessary adjectives that sound smart. Yes, right? My lived experience. Say, oh, yeah. my lived experience. Whoa. Yeah. What happened to my experience? Right. You know? Right. <laughs> but um no, but it, it really is. And 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 because they argue, and and much like Marx argued, is that you know, we have created these systems like democracy, like the constitution, like private property, like liberalism, like civil rights, even. But those are simply camouflage for naked power and domination. And we have to dismiss those kind of false structures of freedom and equality and boil the world down to simple power relations. So whatever you do expressing your power, calling you a, a white privilege guy or, 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 or shutting your, your friend down, even if he's mixed race on Facebook or whatever it is, is justified ideologically because they've rejected objective truth. Yes. They've rejected kind of yeah. what, what they would call traditional theory. They've re rejected norms. And, and then in a world where there's nothing but power, Everything is justified. I yes, I think you. I think if you look at everything they've written, they've created. I, I guess what people refer to as a, as a Kafka trap. No matter yeah. no matter what you do, yeah. you, you're it. You know, if you reject that you're racist, it proves you're racist. Yeah, but it it really does feel like none of what they're saying actually makes sense. Like when they call Ben Shapiro an Orthodox Jew a Nazi, and when they call Candace Owens a black woman a white supremacist, I know. any regular person. Sitting down, I'm, I'm just imagine there's like some guy, he's sitting in a chair having a coffee with his high, eyes half closed, just not really caring about the world, and you know he's got his phone and he's looking, and then he sees across the street Candace Owens, a black woman, and some white guy goes, "You're a white supremacist," and that guy thinks, "What the? F That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen." Yeah, like this person is what? deranged. Did you yeah. see? Did you see this? this really funny video. I shouldn't call it funny, but it's a there's a black guy holding a Trump flag. And a white guy wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt yelling at him. And it's like, yeah, amazing. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter because it's, it psychologically, it doesn't matter because even if it's totally absurd to the general public, you live in a world where you have a limited number of social connections, maybe 200 social connections, like on right. average a person. So if the people that are actually meaningful to you, or even weirder, the people who are in your, you know, Twitter mentions, if you're not kind of steeled to it, at this point, you're steeled to it, you can, you don't care what people say. But most people for them, if you get mobbed on Twitter, the first time it happened to me, it was terrifying. Right, it's I'll awful. admit it, it's terrible. And you feel like, oh my God, you feel like your life is over. You feel like, you know, it's, it's just a, really, it's an ephemeral thing, but psychologically, you feel like it's the end of the world. And that's why it's effective. It's You're, very effective, even if it's totally logically absurd. Are you familiar with the meme where there's like two women and they see something and they go like, ah, oh, like this really nasty face. And the guy behind them starts going like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel about like Twitter and stuff. Like Wait, when explain who's the woman, who's the guy. Yeah. Regular people are the women yeah. who like see all the tweets okay, okay, yeah. and go yeah. like, oh, it's happening. And I'm the guy who's like, everyone's tweeting at me. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know what, man? Like, you have to get there. Yeah, you have to get there. I've been There's on the internet no my whole option. life. Yeah. You know, and I think there are there are people who are trolls on the internet who've never cared. In fact, they revel in the attention yeah. when people are coming after them. But this is this is you are, you are correct in, in how it works. But what people don't realize is that one person can do it with sock puppet accounts. So you're, yeah. you're familiar with sock puppet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say you're a, a bakery 
and you made a uh, American flag cupcakes for the 4th of July. Oh. And then all of a sudden, on Twitter, you get 50 notifications. Your phone's going, and you're like, this has never happened to you before. You don't get this. And you look, and they're like, I can't believe you would do this. Indigenous people are, you are offended. I can't believe it. There are migrants in this country. That's a, that flag is a symbol of hatred. And then you're like, well, I'm getting inundated by all these yeah. people. Yeah. To you, seeing an endless feed of all these people saying F you, you racist feels like everyone. Yeah. But it is but a handful of people. It's like one so sad, lonely guy. Did you see that video? The all the, yeah. the, like the guy with all the cell phones. He's got like 60 of them and he's like yeah. doing yeah. all well, the, yeah, the, exactly. the, the, the click farmers. Yeah. They have a, they'll have a wall of phones and they walk up and they go swipe, enter, swipe, enter, yeah. swipe, enter. That reminds me of this, uh, the family, I think it was family guy. They, uh, they, Peter Griffin, he's yeah. like doing his public access show and it's really offensive. And then mm -hmm. the F, the FCC is like, we've received seven phone calls. And of course that translates to 700 billion people, <laughs> like something like that. Like they, they just extrapolate regular people see a small handful and it feels like everyone and they bend immediately. Dude, yeah. Even having one of my good and friends. And you can't blame them. I mean, you really have to feel sympathy for some nah, guy. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, a, sorry. I'm a pizza owner. I don't know what's happening. It's very frightening. Obviously, I hope that they don't. And I think that over time as a culture, we're kind of adapting to this. So it's becoming more diffuse. But, you know, I, I, I you have to understand it at least. There's yeah. two ways we can go with it. Yeah. The, the wokists gain control and everyone just is terrified and living underneath the boot worried that they'll say something wrong and so they just they don't realize that everyone feels the same way as they do that would be a scary reality where i would like this to go is that people become calloused yeah. and then they start saying go f yourself yeah someone walks in their store and says i couldn't help but notice that you have a poster on your window oh yeah you want me to put up two of them <laughs> so basically we need to like adopt the queen's mindset across the united states mm -hmm. you know just don't care and i, I think you're right but I, I think there's another dynamic that's really important to establish i think it's that in a in a kind of culture war let's say that's the metaphor obviously it's not a real war um but it, you need to have kind of arms parity so you, you, you need to have kind of uh, an equivalent kind of destructive power on both sides so that there's some kind of negotiated truce to recreate a kind of middle. Because right now, you're wasting your time. Anyone, if you're arguing with your friend on Facebook about politics and they're at that point, there's actually not a point of dialogue that's possible. That's gone. You're wasting your time. They're wasting their time. Um, you have to understand when dialogue is possible, when it's not. But when you have two political movements or political cultures that can come to some kind of truce or some kind of parody or some kind of sense of, well, I'm not going to go on the attack right now because I'll get it just as bad. Um, then you create the possibility of a kind of a battlefield turns into some common ground. Uh, and, and I think that's that's important. And frankly, the, the, the progressives are are still much stronger on this stuff. I, uh, and, and the conservatives find themselves, oh, you know, dude, where are I, my I, tax cuts? You know, I, th yeah. I think you're I think you're right about there not being uh, dialogue. But there's certainly ways to de-radicalize people who are this entrenched. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just requires a level of uh, manipulation and deception. Most people don't have the skill to actually perform or wouldn't want to due to, I don't know, perhaps scruples like or something. Daryl Davis? <laughs> no, Daryl Davis was unable. So uh, are you familiar with Daryl Davis? I don't know. Yeah. Daryl Davis is one of the coolest guys ever. So cool. He is a jazz musician. And I think, is, is it blues or jazz? I think it's blues. 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 I think they're the yeah. same kind of music. Maybe I'm crazy. Blues and jazz. I don't know why. Uh, I, I think he's a blues musician. And he's a, he's a, a, a middle-aged black man. He said one day, you know, he I, forgot, I, forgot, I don't know. I don't want to ruin his story. But he's, he saw a story about, you know, the Klan. And he thought 
how can these guys hate me if they've never met me? And so he went to a Klan rally and like talked to these guys and actually ended up uh, hanging out. One of one of his best stories that uh, because I did a speaking event. He was the headliner. He said there was one guy who was in the Klan and, you know, Daryl's a musician. He's he's got friends. He's got connections. Turns out this Klan guy was a big rock and roll fan. So he said. There's like this famous car from this famous rock star. He's like, oh, yeah, I know who's got it. I can get you. I, I, I can get you in it. You can sit down. And this guy was like, what? And then he was like, <laughs> he brings this clan guy out to this museum or whatever to see this famous, you know, hot rod or whatever. And the, and the clan guy hugs him. And this guy, like, that was it. As soon as he realized, yeah. you know, everything he was being taught wasn't true. He said that there was, uh, what, well, I, I, I'm going to ask you, does Daryl Davis come from a faith background? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. He, he, yeah. there, there was one guy he said that he would hang out with him, and the guy was still very much in the clan until one day he was at a rally, and they were saying things, and he went, that doesn't describe Daryl. And then he was just wow. like, this doesn't make sense. But here's the best part. We put on a speaking event uh, near my house in the, in the Philadelphia area, a few miles from it, and Antifa from way further out... <sighs> told the press we won't allow them to come to our neighborhood and i was like it's my neighborhood i live here (laughs) threatened to burn the theater down so the theater kicks us out but we still had an event planned across the street for the after party (laughs) and we refused like if we can go we're gonna go and i was like i'll tell you what if we get banned from both venues i will march down that street yeah but the, the 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 bar across the street was like dude we're not we're not backing down like this is this is ridiculous like daryl's awesome why would they try and get this guy banned like, well, here, he's literally converting clansmen. Exactly. Like, but wait, like you ready for this? We have the we have the after party, and protesters showed up. Oh, yeah. Local police had to seal off the street and escort us in. We go inside, and Daryl's there, and I meet him. I'm like, you know, or I met him at the event, but I was like, good to see you, glad you came. And you know, he asked me about the protesters. <laughs> he goes out to talk to the protesters as a black man, and do you know what they called him? Oh, I don't. I really. I, I want to know, but I don't want to know. Tell me. You know. Yeah. You know. Deep. Four down. letter word yeah. starts with the. Starts with, starts with N. What? Oh. <laughs> called him a Nazi. <laughs> a Nazi. And he made a post on Facebook oh. about it, explaining how he's been able to meet with and talk with Klan members and white supremacists and de-radicalize over two hundred, wow. just by trying to understand them and talk to them. And that when he approached these people, they just started yelling and calling him Nazi and white supremacist, and he was shocked. Dude, this troubles me. Yeah, uh, like it's like most people have really not, you know, walked the walk, right? This guy de-radicalizing two hundred Klansmen yeah. has probably done more to fight actual white supremacy than anyone in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, well, I mean, so you, you know, you know why they the, uh, and it, it wasn't just a bunch of random morons being like, "You're a Nazi." A lot of them were, but some of them know who he is. Yeah, they knew who he was, and they said, "You were friends with Nazis." You're a Nazi. Oh, okay. The yep. association. Yep. Yeah. So th- there were, there were, I think, a couple of the higher profile activists who were organizing it. They were like, we know you, Daryl. We know you hang out with Nazis. I, I still it. think his method is good and that if you try and interact with them on the street, it's very, they're going to come out with you with the mob mentality. But if you get them one on one, it's a little easier to do Darid's method. Uh, well, his methodology. The reason. Not Darid. So, uh, Darid. One, so I, I've seen the tactics and techniques of this are not just in the ideology and the literature. It's also in the activist organizing, which is don't allow your activists to speak to anyone. And I'm not exaggerating. This is, this is a, a, a tried and true leftist tactic they use at almost all of their protests. programming technique. For sure. Yeah. During Occupy Wall Street, they would actually tell everyone, 
They would say, okay, everyone, we're going to, you know, do a march. If anyone tries talking to you, just chant them down. Don't let them speak. They're going to lie. I was in San Bernardino for a, for a protest. It was uh, a bunch of Trump people were like waving flags. So Antifa shows up. I walk across the street and there was a group of people wearing all black and black block. And I was like, I was like, hey, how's it going? Like, can you, anybody want to tell me just like what's going on? I'm just, and then all of a sudden a woman goes, don't talk to him. Mike, check, Mike, check, Mike, check. And they all start chanting Mike check. It's a thing they're actually they do. barking at people now. Have you seen these videos oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. Twitter? Yep. Literally? Like, literally barking like dogs. Yep. Like a group yep. of people. Oh, it's like gosh. the goal it's is so strange. They yeah. have a they have a thing that's been around for a while. It's called Mike Check. The yeah. people's mic. Are you familiar with it? I'm not, yeah. So one person yells Mike Check, and then everyone else in the crowd yells Mike Check back. Okay. They say the technique was developed to make it so that if you can't use amplification. By having everyone repeat the words, everyone can hear. Mm. It's actually a programming technique. So we talked about this uh, the other day with uh, Jack Murphy. where I, I had coffee with Jack. Good so guy. so yeah. Jack mentioned that when they force you to say something, it's yeah. rewiring your brain to try and get you to say it, right? Yeah. It's part of the struggle sessions. Yeah. The people's mic is literally that. Dude, they did it at Occupy Wall Street. And then, so I went up to speak and I was like, nah, I just screamed at everyone in the crowd as loud as I could. No <laughs> mic check. Just overrode well, the so, system. So the idea is if you say mic check and they say mic check and then you say all cops and they go all cops are bad and they yell are bad. You're making them say it over and over again. All cops are bad. And so it's wiring their brain as they say it and they see yeah. it and they believe it. I mean, it's how you teach children. It's how you teach kindergartners the alphabet mm-hmm. and the states and any kind of rote memorization that structures grammar in their brain, structures reading, literacy. I mean... It's all, it's the same principle um, applied to, unfortunately, so, so, grown adults. Let, yeah. me, let, me, let me ask you, man. Every, you, you go on Tucker, you say all this stuff, Donald Trump, we're going to get it done. What do you think would happen if Hillary Clinton was president? <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't have been, uh, been dumb enough to call on the president to abolish uh, critical race theory. But well, you'd still have to. There, there, there's, yeah, no, because you, you, you want to make it, you don't want to make those kind of asks unless you think there is some chance of it happening. Otherwise, you're wasting your time, and and I don't I don't think it's it's, it's appropriate. You'd want to the the kind of um, the posture at that time when you're in the minority is very different than when you have a, a friendly administration, and you know, and people you know kind of up, upset at me about it and blah blah blah. Trump, it's like I didn't even vote for Trump in 2016. I voted third party. I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't into either 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 major party candidate, and but but I will say now and and kind of in retrospect maybe made the wrong decision because frankly not only would hillary clinton not have done this at all um but none of the other people in the republican primary in 2016 would have done it either right a president jeb bush would say oof racial issues get me out the door as far away from this stuff as possible i'm gonna hide under the table and 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 suck on a pacifier i mean this is like it would have been it would have been a funny presidency it would have been you know no bush no no more bush yeah no more bushes could you imagine like a, a pathetic and weak inept bush trying to start wars Please go to war. And that's the other thing, too. And honestly, from my own perspective about the president, it's like, you know, that was a fear of mine in the 2016 campaign. It's Donald Trump is reckless. He's the chaos candidate. They had all these beautiful linguistic instructions who the 3 a.m. phone call and all of these kind of ideas that were meant to sow doubt in your mind during the campaign. And it it worked. And I think this guy, I don't know, no political experience, you know, fighting. And I mean, you, you know. 
you have a guy who you think would be waging war in the Middle East if you would listen, and he actually made peace in the Middle East. It's it's extraordinary. The first couple of yeah. years were not so good. Uh, yeah. John Bolton was a mistake. Yes, but things have mistake. been have been yeah. improving a lot since he kind of took the reins back. Yeah. So uh, who do you think is going to win? I don't know. You know, I was in the White House today and uh, meeting with some folks, and uh, you know, it's it's tense anticipation, right? Because their jobs are at stake. I mean, uh, it's a it's a unique employment environment where if your guy loses the election, everyone loses their job. Uh, but the spirits were actually pretty high. People were excited. People were making plans for next year. Um, so I, I, I don't think so. And, and one person told me something very interesting. He said, you know, this would require a, a major kind of polling science error uh, that we've never had before. But I think so. But during the Brexit uh, process, Brexit was down, and I may not get this exactly right. This is a coming secondhand, but Brexit was down four points in the polling and won by four points. Wow, that's an eight, eight point points. swing. Yeah. Um, from what from what they're telling me. So, do you want you want Donald Trump to win? I do. Yeah, I've got some you good news it, for you. you. Nod some, when you said it. Yeah. It was the Sullivan nod. You're like, you want Donald Trump? You yeah, want yeah. You say can, it with me. Yeah, Mike, check. Donald <laughs> Trump must. So I got some good news. Uh. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you it's not so easy to say the polls are right. Uh, in an interview with Politico, Rob, uh, Robert Cahaley of, I think I'm pronouncing it right, of Trafalgar Group said in 2016, first of all, they got the numbers right. It was Trump 306 to Hillary 232. And they're saying Trump is going to win now. Um, Helmut Norpoth is predicting Trump a 91% chance of winning with 362 electoral votes based on his primary tracking model, which has been correct 25 out of 27 times. More importantly, if the pollsters corrected their mistakes from 2016, then we should have seen improvement in the midterms. We didn't. In Florida, they were off by four points. They, th- they thought that DeSantis was going to lose. Yeah, he didn't. They were wrong. The polls were wrong again. Nobody brings that up. That was it. I was reading it today and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. that should have been a huge thing. And Trafalgar Group brings up something really interesting. The conditions that made it so people were scared to admit they'd vote for Trump are a hundred times worse mm-hmm. today than oh, they yeah. were in 2015 or 16. In 2016, the worst thing is that if you said you were voting for Trump, people would, would, would scowl at you. Yeah. Today, they'll come to your house. They'll throw a brick at you. <laughs> they'll mob you at a restaurant. They'll, they'll, uh, do you see what happened in New York with the Jews for Trump rally? Yeah. This wasn't Antifa who did this. Okay. Everybody says, oh, these, these Antifa and everything. And yes, there, there's problems with Antifa. Regular progressive New Yorkers started throwing rocks and eggs at cars. And one person, I think it was a woman, went up to one of the vehicles and pepper sprayed children. Bro. The whole, the, the level of depravity from these people. So I tell you, man, we're seeing a lot of people actually come out and wave their flags and march around and say, Trump, Trump. I'll tell you this. I've had, I said, I just got uh, some, some information from people I know back home in Chicago, fr- like shockingly alerting me to the fact that someone we know has just voted straight Republican, R- Donald Trump and down to Republican for the first time in their lives. And they couldn't believe it. And I was like, no. Yeah. yeah. Look, I've got, I've got people I know in my life where I'm like, wow, I can't believe it. They're voting Republican. Yeah. I, my friends and family are all Chicago, deep blue Chicago. Yeah. When I was like, I can't remember how old I was. My family told me we're going to the polls today. I said, who do I vote for? Just vote Democrat for everyone. Right. <laughs> now I've got people hitting me up and being like, dude, did you hear so-and-so? They, I, I swear they came over and they're like, dude, we're voting Trump and everybody. And I'm like, these stories are real. Yeah. Cause I saw a story on, I think it was the Donald's, uh, the Donald's own web, the Donald, the Donald.win. It's their own website where someone was like, 
you know, our, our neighbors came over and told us that they, for the first time, were voting for Trump and Republicans, and they had been Democrats, and they were worried. They said we were scared if we told them we were voting for Trump, they would be like really mad at us and scowl at us. Yeah. And then they came in and said, we have to tell you, like, we're voting for Trump. And then immediately the guy's like, I'm getting the MAGA hats. <laughs> yeah. So out of the but, hidden place in the closet. But, right. but I'll tell you, a story like that, it shows you the fear the individual has to admit to his own neighbors he's going to vote for Trump. And the text message I got, I'll tell you what, I, what, what, what I've been told over and over, over and over again by my friends back in Chicago is, dude, you can't tell anybody, dude, I'll lose my job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's really funny. Whenever I tell these stories, I get all these leftists commenting on my Twitter being like, Tim's making up stories again. You don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe yeah, it. No, they Look, do. Trump That's, might yeah. lose. Okay. Yeah. But it is true that this stuff's happening. I've got a friend I met during a Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protest in Ferguson for years. 2014, we met. She's posting Black Lives Matter, Orange Man, you know, and then finally yeah. when Trump comes around, she's tweeting like, I can't believe this. What is wrong with this country? Now it's MAGA. It's like, Dude. I saw her Twitter feed and I was like, this is nuts. So I, I sent her a DM and I'm like, we met at a Black Lives Matter rally. <laughs> How are you posting like, go Donald Trump Jr. Woohoo and MAGA 2020? <laughs> and she was like, Dude, I started reading the, I started actually watching the videos. I started actually reading what was going on. Wow. And I was like, that's it. That's Once the, 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 the leftists desperately need to make sure that no one reads news outside of their echo chamber. And that's why you get the likes of Brian Stelter when he went on, he, he, he did this episode a year or so ago where he's like, don't go and watch Fox News. Don't watch the spin. Only come to us. Yeah. Or you get, I think it was Jake Tapper who was like, remember, you can't read WikiLeaks' emails. You can only, only we're allowed to have them. That's what they've been desperately trying to maintain. And then you had Micah Brzezinski and MSNBC say, it's our job to tell people what to think or whatever. It's like, or control what people think. That's what they rely on. But if people do the research... Then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. Regarding culture war, like you were talking about earlier, I wanted to kind of ask you something about that. I, the reason I brought up Daryl Davis earlier was because I think I see that as, um, as a way to counter the, this critical race mm-hmm. side of the combat. Yeah. Combat. Do you have any ideas of how to, how to combat that? Yeah, I mean, you, you need to do two things. One is that you need to call out the ideology for what it is. You need to expose it uh, and you need to shut it down. So that's the kind of aggressive, uh, kind of uh, more offensive strategy. But that's not really enough, right? You also need to present an alternative model. And the, the reason I asked this, he come from a faith background is because the most successful stuff that I've seen um, is 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 a different kind of epistemological model, a different kind of theoretical model, a different personal model. It's it's a reconciliation model. And that comes from a, a religious background. And I think the 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 distinction we were talking about earlier between, you know, the kind of Martin Luther King vision and the critical race theory, Black Lives Matter vision is is a deep and profound division. Because if you look at MLK, which is uh his work is amazing. I mean he He's a, a preacher, right? He's a Christian preacher. So mm-hmm. he comes from a really deep spiritual background. And the civil rights movement was largely driven in the Black South by the Black churches. Uh, so they're coming from a Christian perspective that we're all created equally under God. We're all kind of brothers in this, uh, all created in the image of God. The second thing, and this is something a lot of people don't know, is that Martin Luther King was a a deep student of American history and in a lot of ways revered the founding fathers, uh, Jefferson even, uh, Lincoln. And you read his uh, writing on this and it's, it's, it's actually amazing, his essays. And, and, and he basically says we're collecting on the promise of America. 
Um, and 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 you know, and you can look even at Lincoln. Lincoln saw himself as uh, as doing the kind of Jefferson created the inspiration, but was tragically flawed. Couldn't do it in his lifetime or even in his personal life. Um, Lincoln saw himself as fulfilling that vision, and then King saw himself as that kind of third step. The critical race theorists, it's based in kind of German Marxism and atheism. It's a completely different intellectual lineage that goes back hundreds of years. They're not compatible. And I think in, in my life, the, you know, I spent, I spent five years directing a documentary for PBS about the poorest American cities and the reconciliation model. And in many ways, the faith-based model uh, is one that works much better. You know, what's really interesting is I, I had a similar conversation on one of our previous shows about the moral frameworks that we experience the world through. Mm-hmm. And I think whether people realize it or not, most of Americans experience the world through a Christian or Judeo-Christian moral framework, yep. even if they're not religious. So uh, the way I explain this, I was once, you know, I'm chilling at my house, and I notice, a bu- I, I, live in a, I, I live in a dead-end street. It's like on purpose. And then I see people walking down my block, knocking on every door, and I'm like, I wonder what they're selling or preaching. And then all of a sudden, these two, like, you know, young teenage girls are knocking on my door, and they were preaching. They were they were there to uh, spread the good word, and they had Bibles and stuff. I don't know exactly which denomination they were. They asked me if I had a minute to talk to them about Jesus Christ and all that. And I told them, I really respect and appreciate what you're doing. I myself am not, um, you know, I, I, I'm not one for, you know, this theistic religion. But I will tell you a few words of, of praise I have for your religion. Notably, the story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, specifically, I think I think it's Adam more. I will not destroy the city if there is but one virtuous person. That that moral framework is the root of the Fifth Amendment: innocent until proven guilty and a right to a speedy trial. From that idea, we had a really really long time ago rooted in these values. We then created Blackstone's formulation. If, are you familiar with Blackstone's formulation? It, I'm not. It is no. better that ten guilty persons escape than one innocent suffer. Great. That yeah. pr- protecting the innocent is more important than punishing the wicked. Mm. From that, we've created a system that has one of the best justice systems in human in, in human existence. I am not a a uh, Christian. Uh, a lot of people seem to think I'm an atheist for some reason. I don't know why that is. I'm <laughs> You're not neither. I, I, yeah. No, I believe in God. I do. Yeah. I, okay. But I, I just don't believe in. Um, I grew up Catholic briefly. I'm not, uh, I don't believe in scripture and, and stuff like that, but I do believe in God. It, it would be a much longer moral and philosophical conversation I'd have with someone, but I'm not an atheist. I don't know if, I don't think agnostic is the right word, but I was, uh, I started to realize morality for many people in this country, we understand these values. Like if you ask the average person who is an atheist, if they know what sin is, they will say, of course, in, in a religious context. But if you go to, say, you know, China and ask them, they're going to be like, I don't know what you mean. Unless they've actually studied, you know, Western religion, they have a completely different religious structure, a different moral framework for how they view the world. Critical race theory, the woke, all that stuff doesn't exist within the same moral framework. So like you said, it's a totally different line of thinking compared to the rest of us. I wonder if that is the real split, that even though I'm not religious at all, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, the, the old liberal arguments back in the day about religion versus, uh, you know, Christianity saying that, you know, I, I'd hear Christians say without without religion, then why don't you just go and commit X crime or whatever? And then the liberals would say, like, you need religion to stop you from committing crimes. Well, not realizing the only reason they feel that way is because they were raised on moral values that were rooted in the Bible. So the way I always explain it is we want to keep the good and get rid of the bad. 
And so when you look back at the history, I, I was I remember reading about the Fifth Amendment and why we have a right to a speedy trial, why, mm. why we have a right to remain silent, why we're innocent until proven guilty, the presumption of innocence. And then you, you start going down the rabbit hole. Then it's like, well, the earlier ideas of Blackstone's formulation, actually, Benjamin Franklin said it's better than 100 guilty persons escape. Yeah, and then right. I go back even further. And they and then I read Blackstone's formulation was actually from the Bible. It wow. was the story that God would not destroy the city if there was but one righteous person because you could not hurt that innocent. And it, and it's interesting because then this is in line with deontological philosophy. An immoral act against one is an immoral act you can't commit versus utilitarianism, which I think now we start getting to the philosophical conversation of critical race theorists seem to be utilitarian. Oof, yeah. Kill a hundred people if it saves, saves a thousand, whereas the rest of us are more deontological you Kill 100 must. people to save one good person. I mean, it's, I it's think the it's the trolley problem oof, on, on steroids. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, yeah. And, you know, so for the, for the most of us, you know, it's, uh, you're familiar with the trolley problem, mm-hmm. I, I'd imagine. For, for, for those that aren't familiar, it's the idea is you've got a, a train coming and there's, it splits into two tracks where there's five people and one person and it's going to kill five people unless you pull the lever. But if you do, you'll kill that one person. Do you do it? And that's kind of showing you the difference between, deontology versus utilitarianism, which is, will you act that will kill one person? It could save people. And then the utilitarian is kill the one person, save the five. And it's kind of a, you know, the trolley problem. There's a bunch of other really interesting ones. I really like that meme where it's like, it's one track and there's a, a hundred people. And it's like, you can stop the train at any time, but it would cut corporate profits. Hmm. You know, anyway, I digress. I think that we might be seeing that route where we really have utilitarians. They don't care about you. They don't care about your life. They don't care about if you suffer. They care about the collective. So maximizing what they view as good. And then the scary thing is who who is actually in control of what is good and what is bad. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, and it's I think a lot of times we get in trouble because people say, well, it's just racial sensitivity training or, well, it's just that, uh, you know, it's important to look at human life and society through the lens of race. Um, these very naive and kind of very nice sounding, very simple formulations. I mean, that's true. But if you look at the actual beliefs and the papers and the books and all the all the studies from the critical race theorists, I mean, they're very clear in what they believe. And they basically say the system of individual rights, the system of private property, uh, the system of equality under the law, the system of non-discrimination, all of those things are used to justify, justify collective inequalities. Yeah. And we need to basically get rid of those things, the constitution that you're talking about, the justice system that you're talking about, all of those complex moral questions that we've been answering for thousands of years. And they basically say, we have the new answer. And the amazing thing is that it always comes back to a kind of very utilitarian, very economic formulation. It's always redistribution of wealth and property. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they can't get out of that. And you read the papers, you're like, okay, think it through the lens of race. All right, great. You know, whiteness as property. All right, that's kind of strange. But then the end of it is like, the only solution is to get rid of the Constitution and redistribute a kind of yep. wealth along these lines. But so I think that the race theorist is, is quite interesting because at the end of the day, underneath the critical race theory is critical theory is Marxism. And a lot of people like will beat up on you about that and say, that's not true. You just think everything's Marxism. But the, the, the dichotomy, the, 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 the kind of dynamic that they describe is oppressor and oppressed. It used to be the bourgeois and the proletariat. America has a large middle class. We have amazing technology. We have very happy citizens for the most part, very affluent. Um, 
uh, very progressive in the mindset of technology uh, and, and wealth, they said, oh, that's not going to ever work. We can never have kind of the proletariat revolution to overthrow the bourgeoisie. We need to re rethink about this. And then they said, let's graft identity politics onto that Marxist dichotomy of oppressed and oppressed. Instead of bourgeoisie and proletariat, we have black and white or black people of color. Because race is two things. One, it's malleable. Um, it's abstract. You can make it into anything that you want. And two, it's extremely emotional. It has a just raw emotional power. And they're saying we can harness that power much more than class-based interests. You, and that's where we are today. You know, what I like asking people. I don't I, I usually don't go beyond this because I just I, I just like to see what their reaction is. I have friends who are very woke and I usually, you know, I have a lot of friends from back home and I'll, when they're preaching all this woke stuff, I'll message them and say, I had a question, um, if you don't mind. Do you agree with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? And they always say, of course. And then I say, so do you believe we should judge people on the content of their character, and not the color of their skin? And then their mind breaks. Why would they say no to that? Because they just started posting a tirade on Facebook about how white is bad or whiteness is property and white privilege. And then the, my response to that is, do you agree with Dr. King? Well, of course you're mm -hmm. supposed to. It's acceptable. So what, what this, 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 the reason I, I, I'm bringing this up is it's not about your ideology. It's about how people are basically saying whatever they think is socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. However, it is socially unacceptable to say you disagree with Dr. King. Yeah. But you can't agree with him and critical race theory at the same time. It's Correct. not possible. Right now, they have created this amazing system where you actually have two jigsaw pieces that don't fit together, smashed together, and then wrapped in duct tape to make it work because they simultaneously hold two ideas in their head. And it's amazing that they can actually be posting about how they want to judge people, everyone on the color of their skin, yeah. while agreeing with Dr. King they shouldn't do it because they're both – it is both socially unacceptable for, for you to reject either of these ideas. Like you can judge people on their genetics. You know, genetics are a code that read a certain amount of information. So if you, you want to acknowledge that information, you know, what do you mean is that judge them on that? Just say it, it is X, Y, Z. It is a one on this but scale. Judge two on this them. Scale. Yeah. By putting it on a graph. If you want to say this DNA reads G, what are, I don't know what the DNA, I don't, not, not much in the molecular science, but. You, you, if you want to list their gene code. But what do you mean by judge them? By judge it, you would be listing their gene code on a piece of paper. You don't mean judge then. No, well, you, that's a form of judgment. Writing something down on a piece of paper is a form of judging an idea. It's a form of judgment. You've decided this is what it is. And you could do that about every race and every genetic code of every human. So we're different. We're all genetically different. That's not what, that's not, that's not what they mean by judging someone Unfortunately, based on their race. Unfortunately, I think they take a more superficial thing and it's like if i see a color then i'm i associate it with this what do you mean like they're judging based on the color the skin color as opposed to just making acknowledgements about what the genetics are yeah our genetics are different it's good you know variety is the soul of the future it's it's what we you know it makes our immune system stronger well that's actually offensive too to them you can't you can't talk about that race is a social construct I mean, there's there's interesting points we made about the idea of it being a social construct, because we, we talked about this uh, the other day with this uh, leftist guy and ideas like if you have, an, uh, say, an albino, albino black person, that person still probably or may identify as black. And many people still might look at them and say they're black. But then you can have actual people like Rachel Dolezal, who are literally white, but change their hair. And then people just believe they're black. So there are, you know, weird social constructs and, and assumptions being made about race or whatever.
But I think that actually, in my opinion, disproves critical race theory. The fact that a white person, and there's many of them, are currently pretending to be black shows that their ideas about oppression, oppression and oppressed aren't true because they're actively trying to be oppressed. Now, why would that make sense? No, it, it, it you're right, but it's a bit more complicated than that. There's a more subtle distinction to be made. Um, we are in a kind of social, this really bizarre, bifurcated social environment where uh, if you are in corporate, if you're in corporate, if you're in academia, especially academia, uh, if you're in a kind of high education, high status, high prestige occupation, uh, being a person of color is a tremendous advantage. You talk to any hiring manager, um, this is just a kind of truism. It is what it is. Um, but th there's another distinction, though. So, you know, kind of people in academia, you have all these kind of white women pretending to be Latina or black to advance their <laughs> academic careers. These are like kind yeah. of like like low tier or, kind of garbage academics. But they say this is my ticket to get that great or job. Elizabeth Warren. And you see the job listings. A, a friend of mine is a college professor and he said, look at these job listings. And it's like you have to acknowledge the land. You have to be anti-colonial. You have to be this and that. And it's like, you know, like uh, to be a professor of anything. So so there's status and, and, and kind of advantage there. But if you look at people in the lowest uh, economic bracket, the bottom 20 percent, the bottom quintile um it still is and unfortunately there still is a, a a a racial dynamic a class dynamic especially now a class dynamic um where that's not true so and and unfortunately honestly the thing that it really irks me about critical race theory the thing that it, to me is like the true moral crime of critical race theory it, it what it does it, it it enhances and solidifies the social status of woke elites of any race but it's an ideology that is deeply destructive to actual poor people of all races. Yes. Yep. It does nothing to raise up people in the poor communities in white Youngstown, Ohio, and black South Memphis, and Latino Stockton. It's a bespoke elite ideology that is self-serving and actually destroys the very foundations of life for poor people in the United States. The, the two-parent family, uh, the, 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 the faith community, uh, the, the habits of kind of work and workforce participation. It wants to obliterate all those things under the illusion that it's oppressive, while at the same time, the elites who preach this stuff, they don't believe it because, look, they're, they're working very hard. They have two-parent households. They're doing all the things that they can them and their rhetoric. And to me, it's not only hypocrisy, but it's deeply destructive to people, again, of all races uh, at the bottom. Do you know that Gen Z is the first generation in like 100 years to be to actually tick the other direction in terms of conservative or liberal? Yeah, of course they are. That's not a surprise at all. I mean, you look at the kind of wreckage that started with the baby boomers and 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 has kind of now echoing down. They say, I don't want to do that. But that's that's not that's, it's not it's not ideological. So uh, the Pew Research shows that Gen Z is about as progressive as millennials, but slightly more conservative in some areas. So when when you'll see these stories, and it's funny, I think the way Pew framed it was Gen Z is just as progressive as millennials or whatever. And then you look and it's like they are, they are, they are. Oh, a little bit more conservative. Oh, a little bit more conservative. That's interesting. I think that's the framing you should go with, that there's something that happened that's very different. It used to be every generation was way more progressive, way more progressive. And now it's stagnant and slightly receding. And I, I so I remember when I saw this research and I was like, I wonder what's causing Gen Z to start rejecting these ideas. Mm. There, there's nothing. You want to know why Gen Z is slightly more conservative? In the in the late 90s and early 2000s, several researchers were talking about birth rates between ideologies and found mm. that liberal couples were having 1.7 kids on average versus conservatives 2.01, which 
which meant that in 20 years, you would have a generation that was slightly more conservative than the last because liberals are less likely to have kids and now more likely to say get an abortion. This resulted in the Gen Gen Z being slightly more conservative simply because there are more of them. I wonder what the correlation, though, is on political ideology um, between, you know, parents and children. It's strong enough to make a difference is what you're what you're what you're suggesting. I think it's progressive to be a Republican right now. I mean, well, I mean, it's progressive yeah. to vote for the, the, Trump the, anyway. The general idea is to look at it from a very simple point of view, yeah. that if conservatives have more kids, they'll have kids with more conservative values. Though the kids are pretty woke compared yeah. to millennials, like they're pretty comparable. So they're less they're less conservative than their parents. There's more kids who have somewhat conservative values. Right? You know, it's a generational anomaly. Now we can take a look at some of the more... Um, I guess the the changes that have been occurring. I mean, when I was growing up, the Democratic Party, when talking about pro-life versus pro-choice, it was safe, legal, but rare. Mm-hmm. Now it's Michelle Wolf on Netflix going, you get an abortion and you get an abortion. <sighs> the selfie videos. Have you seen those? Whoa, no. Oh, yeah. There's like women. There's like a trend on social media a while back where, you know, immediately after having an abortion procedure, people would, you know, uh, take selfie videos and celebrate it like it you know like they just won the olympics or something it's like now it's really kind of you know even i i kind of grew up in california i was pro-choice by default and then you you kind of watch this stuff and you say this is crazy yeah, yeah. Right? You, you see lena dunham yeah. said she wished she had an abortion does she have children can you can you no, pull can you i can pull that up for yeah you. does she have children I, no I, i'm pretty no, sure it was her i want to make sure we get the source no, on oh this she one. wished she had one yes. so she could be part of the club she yep. wished she had had an abortion she doesn't have any kids. I okay. Think, I think wishing. Like, could you like, say that about your kid? Yeah. I had a kid, but I wish I aborted. No, no. She was straight up saying she wished at some point. So uh, wow. not, not to get too much into that, but the point yeah. I'm making is we recently had Joe Biden say that uh, there should be no discrimination if an eight-year-old chooses to be transgender. There's an interesting thing there in the way he said chooses, because I didn't realize that was a choice. And there's something interesting hmm. about what is going to be happening to a future generation's and I'm not saying this to disparage anybody. I'm just yeah. saying, based on scientific fact, that there are going to be people who are having substantially more abortions. There are a, a wave of millennials who are getting uh, vasectomies or sterilization, you know, tube ties or whatever. And there are... Uh, millennials? Like people that are... There are two types before marriage oh, yeah, or before yeah, kids. Absolutely. Like, just like, yep. I'm done. I know someone who cauterized her fallopian tubes or whatever. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and she's like in her late 20s. Awful. Cauterized saying irreversible destroy it so what's going to happen based on that previous trend like what happened to the next generation substantially more conservative dude i i, I, I got it 2016 december 20th mm-hmm. lena dunham wishes Awful. she had an abortion disgusting i, I think so wow. celebrating necessary evils is not the way to go with evil i would say so yeah that seems fair yeah it, it's a social status kind of a symbol, right? That's she so said, rare. She you know? said, I, yeah. quote, Strange. now I can say that I still haven't had an abortion, but I wish I had. Dude. What kind of psychotic depravity is this? Even if your argument is, so, so this is pro-abortion. I always tell people, I'm like, there's no, the argument right now isn't pro-choice versus, versus pro-life. The pro-choicers are aligning with the pro-lifers reluctantly because it's pro-abortion versus pro-life. Yeah, this was 2016. She said this, mm-hmm. and you had that Michelle Wolf special on Netflix where she's yelling, you know, you get an abortion, you get an abortion, right? No like, one's pro-abortion. People are no, pro-choice. She, You're not no, supposed to no, be no, 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 no. Abortion. That's not supposed <laughs> to be. ridiculous. Yeah. It's supposed to be that way, but clearly it's not the case. Oh, man. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to get into this big pro-life, pro, you know, pro-choice thing. I'm just pointing out the left has gone insane. It's not just critical race theory. It's something I don't know what, dude. But so, it's going to be pro- it's going to have a profound impact on future generations. T- tell me if this makes sense. So critical race theorists would say, like, you want people to be a mixed race couple because it promotes, you know, uh, no, no, how dare you? Fetishizing? You would want people to come <laughs> no. together. If that's no. the idea, I mean, is you're the, creating equality. The you Supreme want Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett adopted two children from Haiti. Mm-hmm. Children that were one of them was severely disabled. I mean, if you're an orphanage in Haiti, which is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, you're in a bad place. Right. And she adopted them, raised them, giving them tons of opportunity. Um, and the critical race theory kind of guru of the day, who was kind of Ibram. a big Ibram, Ibram. Kendi, <laughs> yeah. you know, said, you know, this is kind of the mark of a white colonizer oppressing black children as kind of this, you know, and it's like, like uh, <laughs> okay, I mean, you can say and you can say, hey, look, uh, there's a perfectly reasonable argument to be made, you know, uh, kind of. I guess he like, said something kind of, about taming the savage, like some totally what, it was brutally way out of there. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and, and, and interracial marriage is again, kind of like a, a bomb thrown into their narrative because it's very complex. So I, I out of all the, the dumb stories that are around there, I broke a story about the King County, Washington library holding racially segregated training programs. And someone leaked to me these amazing photos <laughs> of signs on two doors, opposite doors. One said, uh, Training for people white. of color, training for people who are white. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then it's like interracial couples, like, you know, like, like my kids, my mm-hmm. kids are mixed race, biracial. Mm-hmm. Like, dad, where do I go? You know, oh. am I a person of color? Am I a white person? If my wife and I, are we going to go in separate rooms to be trained Apparently. to kind of <laughs> un- deconstruct ourselves and learn how to kind of, you know, despise each other for these hidden essences uh, that are more important than even a, a, a marriage? Um, I think that there's two things that critical race theorists drives them crazy. One is interracial marriage. And I think mm-hmm. interracial marriage is a sign of progress, of frankly. Course. Heck yeah. Like, I think it's beautiful. Like, I think it's amazing. Consciously. Like, if, same, I mean, whoever, whoever you love, go for it, you know? But I, I think also America is going to look very different in a hundred years. You're not going to be able to tell you're black, you're white, you're Hispanic, you're Puerto Rican, whatever. It's going to be very complex. And I think ultimately that's going to be good. I mean, I'm Italian. My father's an immigrant from Italy. Oh, cool. Italian people weren't considered white. Right. For a long yeah. time. I think the same thing will happen to be a, a process of evolution as people kind of adapt, uh, accommodate, um, and, 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 and intermarry. But, they don't like that, and they also really hate Asian Americans. Oh, yeah. I mean, the hatred oh, yeah. towards Asian <laughs> no. Americans is so extreme because Asian Americans, who are people of color, uh, have the highest rates of college education. Uh, they have the highest incomes. They have the highest test scores. So in a society where that is supposedly white supremacist, uh, when you look at the income tables by ethnicity, Indian Americans are at the very top. They have 70% college degrees. Rockin Indian it. Americans, uh, Filipinos, Koreans, mm-hmm. Taiwanese, all of these groups. And then, you know, white Americans are somewhere in the middle. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's like it destroys the narrative. And I call Asian Americans the inconvenient minority. Well, they, um, they've, because they just can't uh, deal with it. Right. Uh, they've, they've, they've tried to find a way. I was yes. in, I was in, I was in Seattle at University of Washington. There was like a Proud Boy event happening a couple of years ago. And there was a guy who was arguing with people. I started talking to him and I explained that, you know, when he started saying all this critical race theory stuff, I, you know, said, that's not cool. Here's why. And then it's always funny when their opinions change once they realize, like for me, I'm, I'm uh, part Asian. And so what the guy said to me was amazing. 
that white supremacists have long tried to mix with Asians. That's why they had World War II and the Japanese were on the side of the Germans. Whoa. And I started laughing and I was like, are you insane? What does that even mean? He tried basically saying the justification for why Asians are, you know, bad or whatever is you look at World War II and the Germans. And then, of course, there was this whole period where the left tried explaining why it was that there were right wing people who had Asian wives. And they said it's because, you know, the Nazis and Japan and the, the, the white supremacists want demure, you know, timid traditional wives or whatever Which, i mean you said you're korean like i yeah. know a lot of korean mothers like they are not demure <laughs> no, or timid. No, no. <laughs> they're intense dude yeah, yeah no. they're crazy like they are anything but it's like where did this stereotype come Tiger from it's, it's just it's, ridiculous. It's, it's, amazing, yeah. it's, it's an attempt to yeah. lie to make up yeah. this ridiculous narrative to justify the why kind of, is they're wrong yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a cool a cool story that happened and, and something that i thought was really inspirational to me in, in washington state where i live um, they were trying to basically uh, reinstate. A there was a ban on on race based college admissions. Right? You can't. You have to admit people based on their test scores and their accomplishments. You can't look at race and admissions. And you know, consequently, um, and if you look at the social science data, it's I think highly correlated with the number of hours per week that they're studying. Asian Americans do really well. They get college admissions at the highest kind of public universities of in course. Washington State. They dominate. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. It is. It is what it is. And the progressives, uh, I guess now a year ago, two years ago, I can't quite remember, they said, we're going to get rid of that and we're going to reinstate race-based admissions. And and again, Washington State has a high Asian American population. These are people who had never been involved in politics. You know, we come from, you know, in, in large cases, these are Chinese Americans. They said, we come from a place where politics is dangerous. They'll get you killed. So we are, we're just here to focus on our families, focus on education, focus on working hard, focus on businesses. And I got involved with these people in this campaign to, to, to stop this. And, and you know what, what happened was really a remarkable testament to American democracy. These first generation Asian American immigrants, Literally noodle shop owners, computer people, um, you know, kind of uh, someone that said that they were, you know, transporting frozen meat. I mean, like people who work hard. They came together. They they ha had some people kind of advise them. They put together a campaign to collect signatures to get this thing out of there because they said, hey, wait a minute. We come from this country. We come to this country. We work hard. We send our kids to college. That's how it works. This is the American dream. And these folks are trying to take us away from it to help minorities. What, what that doesn't even make sense. And, and they laughed at them. The legislators literally mocked them in public. Wow. You, you know, wow. noodle shop owners will never put this thing together. Ha ha ha. We have power. This is a blue state. We're going to dominate. Wow. The noodle shop owners. <laughs> oh boy. They went crazy. They organized. They hustled. They got donations. They got small donors. The corporations all donated against them. Wow. The people called them white supremacists, right? Yeah. Of you know, course. these uh, Asian white supremacists, noodle shop owners. And, uh, and they won by two points. Wow. The, the first time in, in Washington state history that a, uh, ethnic minority group ran a ballot measure and won. Uh, and, uh, hats off to them. So, wow. uh, my mom has a YouTube channel. She actually has oh uh, around 60,000 yes, yeah. subscribers. Yeah. And, uh, and, she, and she's Korean. Let me ask you, wh what kind of content do you think she makes? I don't know, man. At, at risk of... Uh, at, at risk of... Go, uh, go, go right away. Food. No, yeah, no, 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 not food. Like cooking. Oh, no, 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 no. What do you no. mean? Come on. would have been a good one, though. More stereotypical Asian. for an Asian mother. Come uh, on. Like, uh, I don't know. Tell Math me. Math videos. 
Literally, <laughs> my mom yes. makes math tutorial videos. Really? Yeah, I love it. Oh and she's got like sixty thousand subscribers. And I, uh, I love this story because I think it's funny and it shows that my family. I mean, as far as I knew, we were progressive, yeah. right? I remember I was hanging out with some conservatives, and it was at a time when YouTube was demonetizing everybody, oh, and like yeah. it was, a, it was the adpocalypse. And I had people tell me they're targeting conservatives. You know, it's specifically to shut down our politics. And I said, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, my mom makes math videos and she's getting demonetized. And then one friend <laughs> went, why videos. am I not surprised your Korean mother makes math videos? <laughs> we, well, but wait, we all started laughing. I immediately texted my mom and she started laughing, too. I love it. Because we are sane, mature adults and we understand why yeah. it's funny. Sense of humor. It's so funny. Dude, I'll tell you a funny story in my own experience. So, like, my oldest son is a fourth grader extraordinary in math top one percent math student and the pandemic shut down all the schools um so we said oof my wife and i both work full time we're like what are we going to do we got to get him um you know keeping up with his schoolwork. so we have our neighbor across the street uh, the son of a korean immigrant family um and he said hey um you want to tutor our oldest son six hours a week come in you know two hours three days a week he said yeah yeah, yeah. Just thinking, I don't know. You know, he's Korean. He's good at math. He's a high school student. He could do fourth grade <laughs> math. Yeah, man. You know, like a, a, a stereotype. Turned out the stereotype was exactly true. Uh, he's like, <laughs> yes. you know, I, talk, I say, hey man, you know, you know, you're going, you're going to the University of Washington next year to study math. Oh wow, it's amazing. He's like, yeah, I, I was doing calculus in sixth grade. Oh. You know, <laughs> and uh, and then all of a sudden, my son is getting just a short amount of time every week. Jumps two grades in math. Wow! Oh my and you're gosh. like, you're like, what? What have they been teaching him in school? Well, I, you, you know, know you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's anything to do with race. It's I think not. it's that yeah. before I, so I, I've, I've been pretty good at math most of my life, and it's because before I even started in kindergarten, my mom was tutoring me and my brother, and my sister, and and she was teaching us math and reading. So when I started in kindergarten, I knew multiplication yeah. and division and all this stuff. And the other kids had no idea. Yeah. They barely knew addition uh, addition or subtraction. My wife takes the kids to Kumon math tutoring when oh, they're yeah. like two years old. Yeah. Yep. Because they know. And if you look at the social science data, it's really interesting. It's, you know, grades and achievement are highly correlated with the number of hours studying on average per week. Right. And I mean... It's really hard to, get, or to argue against it, but the, the critical race theorists, again, they argue against meritocracy. Right. They have, I mean, long papers about how meritocracy is a system of kind of embedded white supremacy, eugenics, classism, et cetera, whatever ridiculous arguments they make, because, you know, they, they really, truly hate the idea that, um, that, that things should be apportioned based on merit. And, and a certain, so, yeah, people start further behind in a lot of ways. There's, there's some, there's some, value to the criticism but but they're basically saying none of it is good get rid of it is why i kind of feel like it's uh uh and i'm not saying this literally i'm saying it uh it figuratively it's a weapon the idea you you look at what happened to you know zimbabwe and the farmers right you know about that they, mm -hmm. they took the land away from the farmers it's it's it happens to all of these different countries when they go communist you've got a farmer who knows how to farm he hires people for specific tasks he needs help with they don't know how to run a farm then the, you know, Marxists or communists or socialists, whatever, come in and say, take the land from the rich landowners. Woo, drive them out. Now, you farmers, you own the means of production. And then they all fail. The crop spoils. And then they all starve. And it's happened over and over again. In what capacity do these people think that giving the means of production to the people who are working one particular machine can make the whole system work properly? You know what I mean? I do. And, and I've, I've been increasingly thinking that... um it's not really about 
justice. I don't think they're actually going for some sort of endpoint. It's not very well articulated. It doesn't stand up to historical scrutiny. Right. I think the destruction is the point. It's it's there's vengeance, yes. there's right. anger, there's rage. Look at a- Andy No on 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 Twitter has he he loves posting the montage of mug shots from Portland, right? Yep. I mean, these are not the faces of happy people. No. Uh, and they're all white. And they're all white and they're and but the the, the and in a, in a sense, you know, at one point ha 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 look at these, you know, deranged and insane people. But then you really think about it and you're like what pain is this person in? Mm-hmm. And then you know, this is the solution lot, to that man. pain. I'll tell yeah. you the class system that's messing people up bad right now. What do you mean? I don't, I don't. People are coming from poverty. The economy's shut down. They have no hope for the future fiscally. Rent's going up and they're losing. They're blowing their lid. And then they're turning to these weird theories that are getting masked by racism. But it's actually about classism. Like people are coming from a lack of education because they weren't born into money. They're, they're looking for into- answers. That's true. Well, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that you have these people who had everything destroyed, and they're looking for answers as to why that is because they don't know. And people offer them up critical race theory. I, 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 I think there's an element to what you're saying that's true, but I think, I think the general profile of the kind of uh, Black Lives Matter protester, rioter, Antifa agitator um, is not from a kind of lower class background or a working class background. These are people. Yeah, who they're wealthy. Are, these are people kind of sons and daughters of the wealthy that I think have underperformed economically, underperformed socially. And then kind of latch onto this ideology. And I don't know. I mean, I, I just made a, a, a feature film in, in America's poorest cities, uh, that, that broadcast on PBS on Tuesday. And, and I spent, you know, five years in a public housing project in Memphis, in the poorest uh, neighborhood in Youngstown, Ohio, in a Latino and multiracial, uh, one of the most violent neighborhoods in Stockton, California. They're not talking about any of this stuff. Yeah, I don't, they don't like, know that that's not important the to them. Is. It's not important to them. No, I mean, they know the economic problems. They feel it, but they don't think critical race theory is the solution. They don't think any of these kind of extreme and kind of abstract ideology is the solution. They said, I really got to get my family together. I really got to get my car working. I really got to get to get a, a, a job and I have a criminal record. Um, and I really have to like find some meaning or fulfillment so in you, my community. You get these people that go out that have money that, that are like bought into this, this critical race, this class system. And they want to bring it down, even though they're not necessarily the, the worse off, they see it and they think that that's what's causing these people pain. And so they want to like virtue signal and this is uh, always the case, the Russian Revolution, the communist revolutions uh, in, 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 in the 20th century. They had this idea that it would be a revolution of the proletariat. And even Marx admits this in, in his work. He said, oh, this is going to be a proletarian revolution. The lower class is going to come and overthrow the landowners and the owners of capital and the factory uh, capitalists. And then they, they realized, oh, man. <laughs> The proletariat is not interested in revolution. They're interested <laughs> in stability. They're interested yeah. in family. They're interested mm-hmm. in faith. They're interested in culture. They're interested normal in the stuff. land. They're interested in normalcy. So what they created then is um, a, a concept called the vanguard of the proletariat. We are the intellectuals that are going to use the kind of um, perceived pain of the proletariat to start the revolution. And then once we do, they'll be right right behind us, storming the barricades. And this is Antifa, Black Lives Matter out there. This is the, the vanguard. This is the Bolsheviks. This is the, the, yeah, of course. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the kind of, kind of radical politics for the last 150 years. It always follows this pattern. And they had that, that girl in New York, right? She was uh, tossing Molotov cocktails. Yes. She was like a district, she was a lawyer. She's a lawyer. She, was the, she had a $2 million pad somewhere. I mean, like some ob- uh, obscene And now thing. she's going to prison yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. 
You think right? she'll go to prison? I mean, she's on federal charges, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Federal and, and yeah, state. That's, that's Come on, you can't good, throw dude. a Molotov at a cop and get away she with it. Know. You she's can't do that. She got arrested. She's on camera. They had a kid in Seattle um, ran up. And you can see the video is excruciating. He ran up behind a cop during a protest. The cop's looking this way. Ran up behind him and smashed him in the back of the head as hard as he could with a baseball bat. Yeah. The cop was wearing yep. a helmet. was fine. But it's like, and this kid was the son of a former state legislator. And you know what the problem is? The critical race theorists and leftists start getting elected to office. And now the district attorneys are cutting these people loose. Not all of them. That guy with the baseball bat, he's going to get locked up. But only because federal prosecutors are stepping in. So in Philadelphia, we just had these riots. I love this. The feds have come in. Federal attorneys are charging people, saying federal crime, federal time. And so Huffington Post has some journalists who are saying how convenient for Trump that his federal attorneys are announcing arrests and riots just days before an election. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. What does that have to do with Trump? Like Trump was like, hey, everybody go riot. Help me get elected. No, if it wasn't for the federal prosecutors stopping these people, then the riots wouldn't be stopping. Yeah. And then we had a night of peace in Philadelphia. (laughs) National Guard's still out there too. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you see, oh man, I'm going to do 15 years, uh, maybe not. Yeah. No, no, it, it, it's true. You can't appease these folks. I mean, you, you have to kind of maintain law and order in big cities. And the thing that's really scary is that this happened already before. The cities were the thriving places uh, earlier in, in, in the last century. And then in the 1960s, we had riots that were very strong and um, and very destructive. And it kind of led then to the flight to the suburbs and these cities getting gutted. So you can still see it today in like Detroit. You know, Detroit was the, the richest city in the world in 1950. And, and today it's coming back a little bit, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was a disaster zone. So things can change very quickly. And I think we're playing with fire when we enable this kind of rioting and destruction. Uh, and uh, that's why I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about uh, Joe Biden. Tell me. Well, worried Joe, about him, Joe Biden about him in many ways. <laughs> he wants to raise the corporate tax. Yeah. But he's also, in his previous administration, was pro-international free trade agreements, notably the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Mm-hmm. What do you think happens when you announce we're going to have free trade between nations and also raise your taxes in the United States if you run your business here? Then all oh. the factories immediately leave because they know they could import their products for free and they'll pay cheaper taxes. What that does is it means... American working class people will pay an overpriced amount of money for a sneaker, and a majority of that money goes to profits to the upper class, to the, to the wealthy elites, and it creates a worse and worse divide between the wealthy and the poor. It destroys the jobs, and then eventually it extracts the value because there's not going to be a job to make that money back. The rich people have all that money. They're opening businesses in other countries. It is an extraction. Joe Biden, pro-free trade agreements, and wants to raise corporate taxes. That's, that's a terrible combination. That's like what we're going to get. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think there's some truth to that. And there's been a lot of change on the right. I mean, conservatives in the 1980s, um, you know, were supply side economics. They really wanted to slash tax rates and, and cr- stimulate economic growth. And I think that was at the time the right call. The problem among my friends and colleagues, some of them, uh, is that they're still stuck in that mindset, you know, for whatever problem, cutting capital gains taxes is the solution, you know, and it's like, oh, we're not there. I don't think that that is exactly, I don't think that's the solution for the time. And I think you're right. And, you know, I spent uh, a number of years in Youngstown, Ohio, that produced uh, more steel than anywhere on the planet. And they had 25 miles of steel mills along the Mohawk wow. River, 25 miles. They're all gone. 
Wow, wow dude, dude, Akron. Did you go to Akron? That's I've my been home, to Akron. My hometown, yeah. Cuyahoga Falls, right outside Same Akron. Same kind of dude, story. It was a rubber boom, and yeah. it's a shell of a city. I know, and it's like 25 miles straight of steel. Oh man, and, um, all gone, all gone. It's awful. And and you know, there's a lot of complex I reasons mean, for that. But the thing is, is what does that do to a community? It wrecks it. And when you wreck and rip apart a community, you destroy the social fabric. What do you have in Youngstown now? You have uh, high rates of addiction, broken high rates people. of suicide, high rates of broken families. Opioids. Mm-hmm. Oh, the opioids are just an absolute nightmare. You know, I remember, you know, I, I spent a week with bounty hunters in Youngstown. Didn't end up in the movie, but it was kind of a cool experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kick down the doors of people's places and it's just people strung out, needles in their arms. And it's like, we have systematically destroyed these folks. And Young sounds very interesting because it was a blue collar labor town, heavily democratic, um, and was and switched to Trump in 2016. It was kind of wow. a bellwether for the yeah. shift because people said, wait a minute, the FDR is dead. FDR mm-hmm. is dead and gone. He's not coming back. And at least Trump respects us. At least he speaks to us as worthwhile human beings, where especially Hillary Clinton was directly disdainful of of people who are my class my favorite story you you ever hear the news and everybody who's watching already knows because i tell it all the time donald trump went to a fancy restaurant and ordered this very expensive steak well done with ketchup Mm -hmm. and do you know what the media did (laughs) ridiculed him for it and do you know what regular people loved it absolutely well well, right regular people loved that trump did it yeah because as i explained to people when i was growing up we couldn't get a, a medium rare filet mignon, sprinkle a little salt and garlic, fancy and, yeah. and all the garnish. No, we got the, the trash steaks from the local, you know, deli for for a buck, cooked it through because it tasted like crap and slopped ketchup on it. So you get regular working people. I've seen their co- their companies, their their uh, their jobs removed, destroyed, and they're eating from the bottom of the barrel. And Trump's eating what they're eating. The media insulted them. Yes, the, when the media insulted Trump, I'm sure regular. Did you Americans see the New said, York Times refrigerator story? No, what's this one? Dude, you maybe, it maybe up. it's so is depressing. It? <laughs> what they did is a New York Times reporter. Like this is the most who like the, and no point in the editorial cycle did someone say maybe this is a really demeaning and terrible idea. Oh boy! They sent a photographer and a writer to go out to um to open people's refrigerators and take pictures of them. Biden voters and Trump voters. Wow. So they had, and then like there's a class element that they don't address in the story and it's ridiculous. Um, but they cherry picked it so that the Biden voters are like Evian water and kale and kombucha. Oh. Frankly, it looks like my fridge. I'll admit okay. it. <laughs> um, I just requested you know, some kombucha. Totally. But, and, 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 and prepackaged smoothies and all these beautiful things. And then the, the, the Trump fridges are, um, you know, uh, uh, some milk, uh, a half case of Pabst, and some some some, hot some bad steaks and some hot bad dogs, steaks. right? I mean, you know, like in, and then they they presented it essentially as the enlightened and the benighted. I mean, mm-hmm. like the the good and the bad, the sophisticated and the dunce. No surprise. And they put it up on the New York Times. I mean, it's like, and they forget the lesson. You know, you remember what Bill Clinton used to do, right? What would he do? He used to slip his Secret Service security detail. To go get McDonald's. Oh my gosh! And people loved it because he was Bubba from Arkansas. (laughs) I mean, really, like you know, people with Trump. Yeah, Yeah, with Donald Trump. I love my favorite. One of my okay. There's, there's, we've had some really good fact checks, (laughs) but I don't know if you guys saw this one. First, before I before I give you the really juicy fact check, I just want to mention during the debates, Donald Trump and Hillary. He said Hillary Clinton acid washed her server. Right. You know, speaking figuratively, NBC puts out a fact check card on Twitter. False. False. Hillary Clinton did not use a corrosive chemical on her computer. Recently, there was a fact check where Donald Trump said, we ordered a thousand cheeseburgers. They were stacked a mile high. (laughs) 
and the no. it was like it was like yes. the, the AP said at two inches each, a thousand burgers stacked up would not reach a mile high. False. <laughs> I'm glad they did that for us. Oh man, and I love it when when Trump bought all the McDonald's. The, it was because it's that, that, what was it, like a high school team or something yeah, was coming in? Yeah, and there was a shutdown. The government wasn't functioning, I think, Yeah, at the I time. remember, and, yeah. And, but they were like, we love it. It's so awesome. And yeah. there's like pictures of them grabbing a bunch of burgers. <laughs> like, yeah. dude, it's McDonald's, man. I just thought. The Taco um, Bowl picture. That yes. one was classic. <laughs> yes, I love Bowl. Latinos. Yeah, man. <laughs> and it's like, I get oh. that. That's kind of like, oh, it's kind of cringy. It's kind of like, but it's like. That's a, he's he's like Donald from Queens. Yeah, and, and you got to think about the guy too with the language. I thought about this a lot actually because the language also made me uncomfortable and sometimes still does. Um, but this is a guy who grew up in Queens, um, a guy who spent a lot of time on construction sites and a lot of time on the floor of casinos. Yeah, yep. you know the language in those places. Yep, it's oh, yeah. horrific. You know, and that kind of braggadocio, that kind of exaggeration, that kind of hyperbole. Um, I think it's more natural to that environment. I hear his dad was really mean to him too. Would bring him into work and like kind of like berate him in front of his coworkers and stuff wow. and talk. So he's he's had a pretty rough go. Interesting. Of it. There's a, there's a video. It's like one of the best endorsements of Trump ever, but also kind of like uh, where it's this like black dude with a gun and he's pointing it at uh. the camera and he's yelling, "Get my president's name out of your mouth!" Ooh. And he's like, "It's this guy endorsing the president." But the reason I bring that up is it's in line with. What do, what do poor people in this country need and what do they think? And right now, the Democrats are the party of the wealthy elites. Oh, yeah. In 2016, Vox said it. Vox.com, progressive website said, Democrats have become the party of the wealthy. Take a look at Biden's donors. Wall Street, high-income yeah. families. Donald Trump is mostly funded by low-income donations. Or, or I shouldn't say low-income, but small donations from lower-income people. You and now the resistance... On the side of the multinational billion-dollar corporations and the wealthy elites in Wall Street, Robert Reich would say the resistance. That's him. That's yeah. him, baby. Is he? Biden said it was forty-three dollars was his average donation. Is that right, Joe? I Biden? mean, but average. What does that mean? I don't know that he. I don't know that he only got. I don't know ten. Don- it, means it means that, that he got a lot of small donations. It means that right? most people donate around twenty bucks, and then he's got a whole bunch of people giving him hundreds of thousands to like his super PACs or whatever. The other thing people need to realize is that as a politician, you can say my average donation is only twenty dollars, yeah. and then my average donation to my super PAC that's you know, oh half a million. Oh, yeah. that's slimy. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Oh yeah. I am not getting the donation. I have nothing to do with the super PAC. <laughs> oh, yeah, you want to give me a million bucks? Sign the check over to that guy over there on the other mm-hmm. side. I'm just here eating a cheeseburger at this restaurant. That guy has nothing to do with me. <laughs> By the way, what did Biden say he was supporting today? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sorry. Can we play uh, that? Joe Biden said he was mobilizing true and nana, true and nonsha, true and not, true and nana but depression. True and honest about a depression. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. How, that was my response. I want I'm not it. kidding. He said, I'm mobilizing true and honest about a depression. <laughs> and now people are like, it's memeing. It's crazy. People were cheering when he said it. Yeah, that was the <laughs> best part. No, no, the best part is. So I don't know if you. Women you, are flashing the, the, the <laughs> stage. They're just like, yes. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Yes. So you uh, see, you've seen the art on the walls, right? Yes. So, yes. uh. It, this is uh, uh, George Alexopoulos who does these really, really amazing and somewhat creepy. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, somewhat. One, yeah, yeah. Some, very creepy. One of the pictures we have over there is it's Joe Biden. He's got he's drooling and a woman is handing him a little girl and everyone in the background is screaming and cheering. And then when he takes the little girl, his mouth becomes this like, gigantic, monstrous and open and the girl's <laughs> freaking out and trying to escape. But there's all these thumbs up in the air and people clapping and cheering. And then exactly he eats the a little girl, idea. and then he thumbs up back. Mood. Wow. That's what it reminds me of. 
when he said, I'm legalizing true and honest Shibata to pressure. And everyone's like, yay. <laughs> like, what are you cheering for? The absolute state of 2020. Yeah, I love it. I was talking to my friend Cassandra Fairbanks earlier, and she and she brought that up to me. When I sent her the video, she goes, they're all clapping and cheering for this. Yep. Like, what are they cheering for? What was your um, amazing your your path to voting for you're voting for Donald Trump? I already did. What what was your path? Because I voted third party and uh, well, I don't even like saying third party. I just I voted for Jill Stein in 2016 and yeah, I'm led towards Donald Trump. Right yeah, now. no, I, I mean my path, like my political path. You know, I, I saw myself. I grew up as a man of the left. I grew up in California, very progressive. Um, I grew up in Sacramento, down the street from Berkeley, and my heroes were the kind of anti-establishment radicals of the campus revolution in the 1960s. You watch the old video of the speeches, defending free speech, defending creativity, defending expression. And that's what I loved. I was like, this is like kind of where I am. But I, I went to college and then got involved in left-wing politics. And I, I discovered very quickly uh, that the kind of uh, elite left-wing politics is about the phoniest group of people you could imagine. These are people that are staging hunger strikes on campus for people that are just embarrassed by them. It's like, we are, we're going to do this for you. You might not want it, but we're going to do it for you anyways. Um, and it's like, and, and at that moment, it just kind of died. The The kind of, the oh, like I can't on a personal level and, and kind of, uh, uh, I just, I can't associate with this. I don't like this. I don't quite understand everything. So I... I got out of college, directed documentaries for PBS for one for about ten years. Oh, cool! And then, um, and then, as I was a filmmaker, and the filmmaking industry was just getting devoured by the kind of intersectional, hyper progressive, critical race theory left, I started really digging into it and, and understanding kind of where is this all coming from, what does it all mean, and kind of slowly just abandoned the left and was looking for kind of an exit plan and. In 2016, I voted kind of in retrospect stupidly for Gary Johnson. So did I. I said, like, you know, I'm libertarian, orient, like, you know, do whatever, don't hurt people, Gary Johnson, protest vote. Um, and then really kind of, especially with the critical race theory, um, obviously, you know, it's a, it's an accomplishment. I had a nice uh, celebration at the White House today about it. Um, and I realized, like, this is the only per for all of his flaws, this guy has flaws. They're, and they're they're not hidden flaws. These are very <laughs> evident flaws. That's like, true. He wears his flaws like a jacket. Yeah. You know? I mean, he is who he is. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. But two things. One, the policies that he's put forward, uh, I think, are good for a large extent. And then the critical race theory, I said, this is the only guy with the stones to sign a piece of paper saying, no more of this. Chris, yeah. I had a question about that. Yeah. When Trump was asked about critical race theory, I couldn't help feeling that he didn't know enough. What should he have known more that would have made him more persuasive and help people understand? I think that, um, um, I mean, the president is many things. He's not a scholar. Um, so I think that he had a hard time describing it. I think he's a visceral politician. He said, they're teaching people to hate America. They're, that's bad. Right. Um, he, he, I mean, he should have gone on like a discourse. I don't know what he should have said, but <laughs> I think he should have said, you know, they're segregating people by race. They're demeaning people. They're dividing people in the workplace. Uh, it undermines everything we stand for. Um, and I put a stop to it, even though my opponents are going to demagogue me about it uh, until Election Day. He could. Yeah. I, I think when he was on the debate stage with Chris Wallace and Chris Wallace was like, Donald Trump, you recently banned racial sensitivity trainings. Oh. Trump's response should have been. Thank you for the question, Chris. Uh, my executive order does not ban racial yes. sensitivity trainings. What we banned were segregationist or neo-segregationist 
practices, which are a violation of Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, an act in violation of the law. Once I realized that there were institutions within the federal government that were violating the law, I immediately said, you must cease this at once. And we won't actually participate in any contracts with companies that are also in violation of civil rights law. You should have, yeah. This is about ending racism in this country. And it's kind of shocking that many people like my opponent over here would support these yeah. racist and illegal policies. Yeah, totally. He should have said all of that. And, uh, and, um, you know, I, I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal basically saying racial sensitivity training is the most bogus Orwellian manipulation of language that exists. And I think that's really, we talked about this earlier, the kind of rapid change of language where something becomes unpopular, they just change the phrase. And, um, yep. and it's, you know, remember mostly peaceful protests. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, and, and, and racial sensitivity trains, all these things that sound good, very innocuous, but hide something anti-fascist. Black Lives Matter. He could yeah. have you on a yeah. press conference and tell people, or oh God. W- he can or appoint you to a position. Because <laughs> yeah, I think it would be good to to have like a, a legit scholarly explanation. I think it's like the root of a lot of these riots. And if we're able to, it I, is look, look, and yes. we need to talk about this at length. And I'm, yeah, I I think we need to have regular people just say f you. Yes, just in general. I've I've said it before. Look, man. Uh, I, I had a contract at a company. They were paying me very, very well. They wanted to get ultra woke. I basically said no. They offered me like all of a sudden I got paid a big fat check and I was like, I want to break my contract. And then I ultimately I left and I didn't know what I was going to do. Recently, uh, Glenn Greenwald, famous journalist, one of the most consequential journalists of our generation resigned from his own news organization because they were censoring news on the Bidens. And you know what the response was from, uh, the editor? And I'm, I'm sorry, not from the editor, from, I can't remember who, who, who levied this criticism. They said something like, Glenn was being challenged by an increasing, uh, 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 what, what did he say? Oh, yeah, the Democratic Party had become uh, uh, offensive to him because it was now with more women and people of color, and it was challenging his power, so he immediately became disdainful and angry. Right. When Glenn Greenwald wrote about how corrupt the the elite crony class was, they said he was actually just mad because there were a lot more people of color. I mean, he's a, 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 a all you know, information is a, a gay journalist married to a Brazilian guy. You know, it's like yeah. like and that's the thing that, too, it's, it doesn't even have to match any form of reality that most people would say hey, that doesn't make sense. Like that that doesn't add up because they know they can say it no matter what. It's become that kind of catch all. But my, I don't. I, yeah, no, I, I think the more they do this, the more votes Trump gets. I but I, I got to yeah. tell you, man, if the polls are right, that would be really scary. And it They're could never be true. right. No, 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 no. It, if it, they are, it's a coincidence. It mm. could be. Look, there's a margin of error, you know, yeah, and, that's it's, for and, sure. it, and it's and it's pretty wide right now. It's between like three and now it's at four. They're saying. Yeah. We'll so that's that's a serious margin They're of models error. models, too, right? They're not actual yeah, polls. It, well, the polls are always modeled. So they'll they'll ask 5000 people and say, OK, now we need 350, you know, Democrats, 200, you know, Republicans or 260 Republicans. And then we'll determine what we think is going to happen. So it's possible they're all completely wrong. But I, I got to say. It would be perhaps wishful thinking for me to think I know better than all of these different institutions. But think about what that means if the polls are wrong. It means that the American people don't care that you have literal violations of civil rights law happening all over this country in our own government, that in California, they're trying to repeal their civil rights. You know, you know about yeah. their repeal Prop 209. And who's fighting Asian Americans? 
Right, right. And who's fighting the Harvard stuff? Asian Americans. Yeah. No wonder they don't like him. I've got a question about uh, his banning of the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when we had Vosh on the other night, none of us really could figure out. Did he ban the schools oh, from he, he teaching ex- it? He explained this already. Or did he just, he's not going to give money to schools that teach no, 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 the no, no, theory? No, 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 no. So, so this is a good question. No. Uh, you can't really, you know, it's complicated, but you can't change a curriculum. So you could teach critical race theory alongside another theory, et cetera, et cetera. What he's, what he's, what he's banning is the kind of HR trainings. You can't train your employees in these kind of ideas and these divisive concepts. You can't stereotype, scapegoat, or demean people on the basis of race or sex. Is he withholding funds from schools that teach it? It's not schools. So the executive order, it does it in the federal government, federal yes. agencies, and then in federal contractors. So basically yes. all the big corporations, they're scrambling now. Um, and the irony is this. You have the president saying something very simple. You can't scapegoat, stereotype, or demean people on the basis of race. And all of a sudden, these corporations in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce are freaking out and changing all their policies. You have to say, well, man, you guys must have been scapegoating, stereotyping, yep. demeaning people on the basis of race. <laughs> yeah. We've found the systemic racism. Yeah. Um, but 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 it doesn't apply to schools and universities. And this is, you know, the next big thing. And I think I can say without revealing too much detail, um, my next uh, campaign, my next kind of move on this is that uh, if the president wins, I feel very confident uh, that we could also extend the executive order uh, through Title VI of the Civil Rights Act um, to every public K through 12 school uh, and every university. That was my in America. first thought. Yes. Bosch yes. said that it would be a violation of free speech this is, this and is, the ability to teach theory. This is another one of the kind of low level, kind of low, uh, low effort criticisms. You know, free speech, you know, what are you talking about? You can still say critical race theory. You can say it. You can say it. Yep. I can say it. You can say it. You can teach it. You can do whatever you want with it. You have the right for the government to protect your speech. The government has to protect your freedom to speak. Or they can't violate your rights. But the government is not required to subsidize your speech. Absolutely not. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. These are people that are using federal dollars to indoctrinate people into this kind of ideology. You don't have a right to public money, and you don't have a right to teach it to public employees. But, of course, you still have your First Amendment right to do it on your own time and and, and your own dime. And also what, what needs to be said in that capacity, it's one thing if a school says, I'd like to teach you about critical race theory. It's another thing if they're applying critical exactly. race theory. Exactly. If they yeah. use critical race theory in their Imagine, teaching, that's different than teaching you about the theory. Should schools be allowed to teach children about what white supremacy is? Yes. Sure, should the yeah. teachers should teachers be able to teach kids to be white supremacists? <laughs> exactly. No. No. Yeah. Not charge kids with supremacy. I feel like this is a supremacist movement. Even though it's it's tearing a race down, it still feels like a, supr- it is. a racial supremacy You're correct. movement. Racial and, identitarianism. And, and Ian, I think this is a crucial distinction that I really, really wish we had hammered home to Vosh and all of our audience. <laughs> because one of the things that nobody was noticing, I don't think, the other night was that this is at the federal level. Dude, this is freaking me out. This is in Sandia Labs. These are the people who make nukes, Ian. The like, Treasury, is, the people who control our money supply. This is genuinely yeah. unsettling to me. Like, this isn't just yeah. teachers. This is people... At every level. Like, this is Not a anymore. serious problem. White I supremacy know. is uh, <laughs> Great. Thanks, interesting. Chris. Race, teaching kids about racial supremacy is an interesting concept because that's a heavy thing so, to teach. That, that's, the next, that's the next phase of this campaign. And I'm sitting on basically a fat stack of documents. I've been doing uh, public records requests at some school districts. I have also whistleblowers at school districts requesting all of their kind of diversity, uh, inclusion, ethnic studies, all of these different training programs and curricula. And uh, the, the one in Seattle, it's like they send me two CD-ROMs. Like, actually, like, 
how am I going to read this CD-ROM? <laughs> uh, a, but then B, like the the city of Seattle, city of Seattle, Seattle Public Schools uh, curriculum, ethnic studies curriculum, or whatever they call it, race and social justice initiative. The logo is Seattle Public Schools. A picture of the Space Needle, and on top of the Space Needle is a black power fist. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Literally, it's like you guys didn't try to be subtle about that. Like, and on, and man. and in in a way, the federal employees, adults are old enough to be like, oh, I'll do this thing, but it's stupid. Um, but kids are not, kids are not sophisticated enough right. to say, actually, uh, in Cheryl Harris's original 1993 paper on whiteness as property, she makes a distinct, like they're, they're eight years old. Right. Um, and, uh, and, not? and that to me is very dangerous, very destructive. Um, and, and I, I just, uh, I, I think, you know, I've experienced it even with my own children to a certain extent, uh, those kind of teachings. And it's just, uh, it's no good. We got to stop know, it. Do you know where that fist comes from? The, the like no no the the revolution the, fist? the origin of the fist no I don't know the exact yeah. origin but I do know it was very prominent in the Spanish Civil War and do you know why when they make the fist they show you the fist why it's a symbol of the fingers standing together the 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 small coming together to make the strong just like the fascists believed the the the, the yeah. how do you pronounce it fascists fascists yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, the bat, the the sticks banded together Mm -hmm. with the axe as a weapon or whatever. Yeah. It was the same symbol. Yeah. The the same exact symbol. It was authoritarians who believed they could band together and their power would, would prevail. Yeah. Again, it's a reduction to power. It's a reduction to all social forces to power. There's no room for morality. You know, uh, part. Do you know who David Graeber was? I do. Do we see the gentleman who... I think he may have passed. I want to be very careful because I, I don't know if... It, I, 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 I don't want to accuse someone of dying if he didn't die. died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> he, right. Accuse someone Please of Please check. Yeah, I think he yeah. did. I, I will retract if yeah. that's not true. Yeah. Uh, he went on a Twitter Twitter thread uh, a year or so ago saying that elements of the left, left have adopted fascistic ideologies. Mm. And he was referring a bit to uh, this stuff, saying one of the core principles that they espouse is there is no truth but power. Yeah. Which is why... They constantly change the definition of words. They'll do by any means necessary to gain power. And he said that it was essentially a, a, a core tactic ideology of the fascists. Yeah, he died in September. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, but like depends on the kind of power, really. Like the Goblin King power, that's not real power if someone's going to come up and take it from you immediately after you take it. Or you like, just have better power? guard. Hey, question. Do you homeschool your kids? No, I don't. You know, I, I had uh, my oldest in in public school, um, and uh, and then we recently switched to uh, Catholic school. Do you ever think yeah. about homeschooling them, or are you are you satisfied with the? Yeah, the the the, the kind of religious school is uh, is great. Um, oh, and then I we see. have our youngest is at home as with a nanny, and um, that's amazing. Like my wife and I both work from home now. It's like everyone so with the pandemic. Cool. I love it. So it's awesome to have the kids around a lot. Um, and I, I don't think we'd homeschool. My wife is, uh, you know, very ambitious, very accomplished. She's a, a, a programmer writer at Amazon. Yeah, she's um, super smart. Yeah, so she's very smart in the tech world, and uh, um, and and I think she she likes to work, and uh, she really enjoys the challenge of that and the balance. So we found a nice balance. But you know, m- much along the lines, I think of, of you, Tim. You know, we we lived in Seattle. We lived in the kind of urban core of Seattle, and it became untenable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were getting doxxed and threatened and harassed and posters, and then. Uh, the moment it crossed the line is when people started randomly like cursing out my children in public. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and I actually wasn't there. Um, it, my, my oldest was with the babysitter and someone found out who's your dad. And then, you oh know, F that guy. And, you know, he's a Nazi and Tucker Carlson. And like, I mean, like, like just blowing my kid and, and my kid to his, uh, you know, nine years old and, uh, to his credit, um, actually amazing. He stood strong. He's like, that's not true. That's wow. not, that's not my dad. And held it in, 
and then came home and burst out crying, <laughs> right? Aww. But he stood up to this guy, and uh, and this guy's a 40-year-old man. Wow. Whoa. You know, and that's a moment that I said, sweetheart, I think we got to move, man. Yep, like, this go. is getting crazy. What people have lost their minds and they're so, and it's like, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a reasonable person. I can engage with anyone, happy to talk to people, but like something has possessed people that are, are, are highly educated, that are affluent, that are professional people where they're like, yeah. What I gotta do now is curse out this kid. I keep you thinking know? it's yeah. the food supply. Yeah. I can't prove no. a lot. No way. This guy's eating kale chips, and you know, I mean, <laughs> you know? this is. I, I, I found out. Rich people, I, I found dude. out who the person was. Actually, wow. This is a software programmer. That's insane. Does he yeah. drink uh, diet soda? Aspartame. Nah, I didn't mind. find that out. Yeah. Too much into this yeah. stuff. These people yeah. are drinking kombucha it's, like you. Yeah. It's they in are, conjunction yeah. with a lot Maybe. of other things, but I think part of the psychosis of society is the last thirty years of poisoning of our food supply. I think you're right. But you give it too much emphasis. Well, you're my not, friends, you're not wrong, but yeah, time to go to super chance. Yes, let's do it. We definitely went went long on this we one. We had so much fun. Oh yes. my god, yeah. yeah. I was tired when I came here, and now I'm all pumped up. I know, it now I'm tired. <laughs> Love it. Well, you did have coffee yeah. too, didn't you? A little bit, a little it, half and half. I was a, a responsible person. <laughs> Jack Daw says, "Why do we have to wait for you to be banned to get this fish beaver commentary? Yeah, I think it's on, time man. to get the politics of the fishing hole channel going." Correct. I've long said that if I get banned, I'm just going to go go fishing, like whatever, man. Yeah, do it. And now. so they're basically saying, "Go do it, make yeah. the fishing channel." <laughs> well, I've I've I haven't fished in like two decades. Listeners have kid. spoken, Tim. Do it. Colin Grant says, "Please have Jeremy Reese on the show next oh, Tuesday." Let me write this down. He uh, will be here. Tuesday? He's going to be here for Jeremy election Reese? night party. Jeremy yeah. Reese. Oh, Jeremy cool, cool. Reese is a quantum physicist. He's actually got a bachelor's in science. He's studying oh, he's oh, awesome. advanced technology. Yeah. I'm surprised. Oh, this is going to be crazy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very amazing. Is he going to be able to explain like the parallel reality we 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 tripped into, when, into when Donald Trump <laughs> right? possibly he's working on a warp drive? The so. 2020 portal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that I we've love all it. sunk into. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Vibration of magnesium, man. Uh, I just gotta, I just gotta point out, we have a ridiculous amount of super chats. A lot of money from people saying. Truna limanana per <laughs> The fact yes. that you have monetized that ridiculous nonsense uh, phrase someone, is a beautiful thing. It's time to make some shirts. Time to make some. It's it, it was true in nana shibata de pressure. True nana shibata de pressure. Because it sounded like he was. I'm. I'm. Look, I am not a an a fluent Biden translator. <laughs> but we we talked about yeah, it. We tried to figure it out. And maybe he was saying true international pressure. Yeah. Hmm. No, no, no. Something else. Something. But those three words and then a fourth word. True international. <laughs> I can't believe I missed this. Shibata. You got to watch it, Lydia. True and not a Shibata depression. Mm-hmm. I'm marginalizing true and not a Shibata depression. Oh, for coalition. True and national. True international. <laughs> Pressure. Something and we pressure. made it. Give what us was the Shabbat? You got to pull it up. I got to <laughs> hear it. Again. Shabbat sounds Jewish. Yeah. I, don't know. I listened Shibata. to it. The Shabbat bread. I listened yeah. to it a hundred times <laughs> to transcribe to the best of my ability. A lot of people are just typing true and on a, you know, and then like limer. Oh, or That's the effort that we need. That's, That's the right. Effort. I take, yeah. my, I take my job. Yeah. To the I take my job very seriously. <laughs> very seriously. Yeah. Quagan says, I checked out that kid's channel that was super chat yesterday. He's a high school student that speaks oh, yeah. out against woke culture indoctrination in our schools. Awesome cool. stuff. Channel is Maxim Smith. Yes, I saw him uh. tweet at us the other day. Maxim Smith? Maxim Smith. M-A-X-I-M-S-M-I-T-H. And cool. he's a high school kid. 15. Making videos against woke indoctrination. That's Very cool. Support, support the youth yeah. who are fighting against this stuff. Indeed. It's true, man. I had like some high school kids uh, in the neighborhood that hired them to like like epoxy our garage. Oh, cool. And then they're like, oh, what do you do, man? I was like, oh, you know, I'm on, you know, TV. And I try to be like, you know, uh, like I'm a writer and, you know, they're like, nice, man. That's cool. <laughs> I love like, it. Our teachers have gone crazy. 
Really? Like, yeah, people, there's, like, to be in high school now, I feel like it's actually to be edgy and transgressive, to be conservative. Yes, because you're is. fighting against your, like, woke teacher, you know? So I was like, oh, that's Well, cool. the teachers are that's being cool unreasonable with you. Unreasonable. You're like, why didn't you do your homework? Yeah. It's like, because you're white. And they're like, what? <laughs> San Diego just changed their grading policies. Um, oh, I think I saw that. Did you see this? Yeah, Wait, they're, um, they're saying um, we can no longer grade people on if they complete all their work or if they turn in their homework on time or their academic Wait, performance. Right. We have to do holistic. Holistic grading okay. that takes in account other other factors. How is this not some kind of virus that has been implanted in our society it to is. destroy it? It yeah. totally okay? is. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's true. Is this I'm just saying the seeds that China mailed. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good conspiracy theory. Right. And that's like a nice linkage. Yeah, yeah. I like you, that. You, you yeah. plant it. And one day yeah. comes up. There's a weird looking flower, yeah. and you look, and then it blasts you in the face. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, oh and then you're white woke. privilege. Gosh, I know. Uh, white privilege. You're a zombie. Happy Halloween. Let's see. Uh, the Reaper Sun says, ah, the cinematic 24 frames per second for the ultimate immersive Timcast experience. Our internet was all funky. I have really good news, though. We literally had two guys come out. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be real. I'm, 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 people are going to get mad. Do it. The Verizon guy comes out and he goes, and we've been waiting to get Verizon installed so we can actually, I, I, and thank you, Verizon. We want we want some good internet. Do you hmm. do gigabit or higher? Gigabit's going to be yeah. great. Right now we have garbage internet. Ugh. Oh wow! Makes it really hard to do a lot of things. And this guy came out and said, "Yeah, I noticed that in the system it was just dormant for months. Nobody was doing anything with what it." And I was like, "We have been calling every <laughs> single week." They were like, "We, had, you know, for some reason nobody just decided to do it." <laughs> wow, <laughs> amazing! It's hard. So we actually yeah. had not only them come out, but the electricians who are going to like lay the lines. Like we're we're in the middle of nowhere, so they have to actually do construction yeah. for a mile or so. To actually, you know, get the internet working at this place. You got to read this wow. one I highlighted, Tim. Let's see. Read it. Unix Edu says, nice. Tim bringing back Max Headroom style <laughs> videos tonight. Yeah, but we didn't do the thing, it thing, wasn't. thing. Where we <laughs> talk, 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 talk. <laughs> Matt, you know Joe Max Biden. Headroom, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden. We True, Nana, Shibata, Shibata, Shibata. The pressure, perfect. pressure. Joe Headroom. <laughs> Joe Headroom. Snafu says, always remember that the left and the Democratic controlled media always tell you what they are calling, uh, calling you. Always tell you what they are by calling you those things. Yep. Just remember, Communist Manifesto is being used by them. True. Is it? Wow. Sure is. Dude, I, we were so onto something talking about the Russian Revolution, man. Yep. That is such an archetype. They had a king they were revolting against. We don't, which is part of why I think we can beat this thing or defeat the concept. You know, Dude, I, into I, oblivion. I saw a friend post, I've never voted before, but now I'm doing my duty. And it was a picture of a ballot, like going into the, the ballot box. And it was like, we must stop Trump. He's destroying democracy. Okay. And I'm just like, the amount of things I must tell you. <laughs> First so of all, good, yeah. already voted. And I'm like, is it destroying democracy to appoint Supreme Court justices as per the rules of our system? Yeah. Is it like when we had, we had Vosh in here, he was saying that Trump's use of executive authority, executive orders was like authoritarian. So and I'm like, weird. but that's literally the confines of the executive branch. And it's also he's used it, utilized it in much uh, less aggressive ways than the last administration. Yep. Well, he argued that Trump was doing more. But I, I, regardless, regardless, I don't Regardless, it's the same principle. It's the same mechanism. And there's and there's and there's a, a system by which we reconcile. Yeah. You file a lawsuit. It goes to the courts. Yep. We have Guess what? Analysis. When you're president, you're a powerful guy. True. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So interestingly, uh, someone brings it up. Uh, Shalomo says Vosh didn't know the text of the executive order. He was railing against the banning of yes. a specific ideology. He needs to see the language. Yes. And I, I do want to say I'm not trying to drag him. I, I have tremendous respect for him coming on and actually trying to give his ideas. But I think it's fair to say at this point, a lot of them were not particularly. You yeah, know. I, I also agree. It's, it's important to raise the warning sign if people talk about banning theory, teaching theory in any school in the United mm -hmm. States. You know, it's a free speech is the backbone of what we do here. 
Uh, yeah. What? I got some good. Are we good? Ready? Yeah. I, think I don't we're know good. if you want the to. The warning flag, flag doesn't mean you're not going to do it. It just right. means there's a warning flag up. Let's examine it. Perfect. There Acoustic theory says critical race theory is the center of what global elites expect will be the intellectual undoing of America. At its core is a Marxist retelling of a racial supremacist narrative. Mm. Perplexed patriot says, Tim, can you use the power of the beanie to predict the election better than the thousands of soon to be unemployed pollsters? I mean, you <laughs> couldn't do worse. Uh, yes. I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, you do. But I'll tell you what, come election night, we don't even know if we'll have the total results of who's going to win. We will not. It may be that Trump wins some states we didn't think possible. And so they're just like, okay, mail-in ballots don't matter at this point. I tell you this. Oh, no. No matter who wins. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Where, where? Where am I going? You're going with this. This could not be decided for weeks. No, no, no. no. Or, oh, well, uh, well, sure. Well, for no, sure, what I was yeah. going to say is, I assure you, no matter what happens at the end of that night, I am going to be laughing and having a good time. Yeah. We, so you see, I think one of the big things that separates at least me from whatever that woke crowd is when they when 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 Trump won, that woman drops to her knees and screams <laughs> in the sky. Dude, you know, what I'm going to do like if Trump went when Trump won, I laughed. Yeah. It was like like the, the guy with the two women that meme where the women are like, oh, and the guy's laughing. I'm just like, do roll with it. What are you going to do? You got You got You got to survive. You got to be strong. You got to be mature. If Joe Biden wins, Man. I'm going to laugh. Yeah. When- now, admittedly, that means we don't get the great memes. Okay, this is what many conservatives are worried about. But I'm willing to bet there's going to be some conservative meltdown videos. But I got to be honest. No way, dude. No, there will be. But they're not going to be entertaining. True. It's going to be a guy (laughs) going. It's going to be like, you know, Glenn Beck saying, America, it's serious this time. Yeah. And we need to come together. And it's going to be like, okay, Glenn, you know, you're right. But they're not true melt. They're not like emotional breakdowns. (laughs) Like like, the extent to which we're going to see conservatives is you. There might be some people. But I really don't think, you know, you know what it is? It's that the conservatives aren't going to plot their phones, yeah. put them in their car on the dashboard and drive and go, no, <laughs> Trump. And like, I'm imagining it's yeah. a middle-aged guy with sunglasses on, you know, like the very stereotypical. <laughs> and he's yeah. driving, Trump lost. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to, you know. I got an old buddy who works at a tech company and he's like, dude, he's like, first of all, you know, I don't vote. I really don't care. So I was like, all right, that's true, uh, my friend. He's like, but. Like my team of like salespeople, all the people come in the next day and they're crying. I had a bunch of people call out. They're too emotionally traumatized. They can't come in. Our executives brought in trauma counselors and grief counselors to like coach our team. He's like, what is wrong with people? Because like, Trump tweeted? No, when he, when Trump won in 2016. Mm, yeah, oh. yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and they had these trauma set. And it's like, and it's like, if you are emotionally debilitated Dude. because an opposing political party won, like that's not because of the politics it's because of you do you girlfriend it's like, look i'm invested i had a, a, a great ex- a great uh, a thing working with the with the president's team on this thing i'd love to see it win i'd love to for us to extend it to k-12 schools and universities um but if he loses me like oh, all right cool well now we're gonna shift our strategy do something Figure different something yeah out. yeah you can't you can't invest invest your emotion and psychology into that stuff. It's but I would good. say that I'm kind of concerned about the future, and I'm worried about having kids and stuff. So I, mm. I guess we'd cross that bridge when we get. There. You know, yeah. man, I've always been. Uh, I think we, 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 we were talking about uh, we were talking about this with Jack about not being afraid of being the other. Mm-hmm. Mm. I I don't care if if this country goes insane and people are running around doing crazy things. I'll advocate for it to cease and for people to be mm-hmm. arrested. But if we came to a point where the whole country was critical race theory or whatever, bro, I'll go down to the mountains. Dude, we could get run a dog, the show a without a president. We don't need someone <laughs> exactly. sitting there to do this right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying at the end of the day, 
it comes down to the individual and you need to be responsible for yourself. Yeah. So if the whole country goes woke and crazy, it's like, I'll take care of myself and I'll do the best that I can. And I think that's why moderates, conservatives, and even people who are disaffected liberals are mature adults. And that's really, I I think that really is a separation. I mean, look, like you mentioned, trauma counselors, these people are not adults. Yeah. They're like, you know, you know, I kind of view it as sort of a permanent childhood, similar to what we did to wolves, you know? But dogs are basically permanently child, like wolf, wolf cubs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was reading about this. You have a lot of people who've not reached that level of maturity where they understand what life really is. And I wonder if it's because they're pampered and protected. It's the result of our wealth and success. Cause I've been homeless. I've slept outside. I've been in the middle of nowhere. I've gone, I've gone camping. You ever like, did, I'm willing to bet many of these people never gone to the woods. It's like, what do you do when you got to take a dump and you're in the middle of the woods and you're 30 miles out? They probably have Don't no idea. Don't cut yourself. Yeah. They have no idea. Yeah. So, so to them, it's like there's something always there for them. And if they don't get it, what do they do? They bark at people. It's just like. What did you feel the moment you found out Trump won 2016? Honestly, I'm just shock and disbelief. I was with a, a friend of mine. We were watching the returns. And I just, I can't believe this is like, what is happening? I just kind of shock, disbelief, interest, curiosity. Um, I didn't really have a dog in the fight. I wasn't you know, emotionally invested either way. I just said, this is crazy. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And um, buckle up. It's going to be an interesting yeah. four years. It felt like yeah. someone hit me in the gut. It was yeah. such, I woke up like 2 a.m. to check the results and like, it just felt what? like the wind knocked out of me for yeah. a second. Yeah. I think it shocked me out of this like, this, you know, this, remember I was telling you, I thought we were going to get nuked when I was in LA. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> Hillary's in, the system's rigged. We're all doomed anyway. Yeah, the feeling just and I just got yeah. shocked out of it when yeah. Trump won. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Balian says, every time I try bringing up Tucker to my liberal friends, it's always, oh, well, Fox lawyers won a case saying any intelligent person would never take anything he says seriously. So I'm not listening to this lying POS. Oh, Rachel Maddow. That's, uh, that's on Tucker. Project Veritas says they won't settle. They'll take it all the way. Tucker should have. End of story. And if, and, and that's it. And if he got something wrong, he should, he can admit Veritas he's wrong. wins, man. Well, if anybody sues, you don't settle. You just take it all the way and drive it to the ground. Oh, End of story. Yeah. If Tucker's won, won his case by claiming that he's not reasonable, he caved. That's that's on his. That's that's on him. And that's you have to figure out how to argue past that. That's that's true. Find someone else. What was the case? I I don't know. Okay. Flaming Short says: Is socialism caused by schizophrenia spectrum? F- fascism by psychopathy? Liberalism by autistic spectrum? I don't know. I think socialism yeah. is caused by ignorance, but that might be too vague. Yeah, uh, a little bit. It just seems know. it's like a ideal, like, let's all just share everything all the time. Very pie in the sky. I don't think it's reducible to like mental illness, which is what they're suggesting. They're saying there's a DSM category uh, <laughs> for every political ideology. I don't think it's that. I think a lot of people are well-intentioned, you know? It's just uh, yeah. the gap between intentions and, and results. I think so. Juan Eats Burritos says, if you're, uh, if you're really about freedom of speech, Tim, you, uh, you would Nick Fuentes on. I He's actually Fuentes. banned for being a dissident voice. And then he says, Vosh Pedo apologist. Hmm. Uh, here's, here's what I've said over and over again. And now I'm going to start a tally list. I have a tally already. I will not be bullied into having people come on this show. And I will have them on if they're relevant. And I don't care if, you know, like someone like Nick has been banned and whatever. We'll have anybody we want on. And I'll also state that they're kind, these people are kind of trying to sabotage Nick's chances of coming on because yeah. he was already recommended to us a while ago. And we've already been, you know, working on setting something up so for people to come out now and like start i'm getting messages all the time people are tweeting at me like crazy and they're very like derogatory it's almost like they're trying to make sure we don't book this guy Mm. he's a he's one of the america first guys okay and he got banned from a bunch of platforms 
And so we had, you know, one guy on and everyone's like, well, they got this guy on. And I'm like, no, no, no we're going to have on who we want to have on. And I'm not going to let people say, well, if you have him, you got to have him. If you have him, you got to have him. But a good friend of mine actually asked that we reach out to him because of how he got banned and censorship is such a big deal. But now all these people, you know, are trying to be really adversarial about it. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind it's of off-putting. It's, no, yeah, it's off. really off-putting. Yeah, yeah it's like, it's a, maybe, but it, it could be people who hate him trying to make sure we don't book that's them. That's possible. You know, so I, that's why I don't False flag operation. Wow. Oh, yeah. no, yeah, but legit, right. legit, yeah. for sure. For I would sure. like to say that I am actually keeping a tally. Uh, and the more people who bother me about Nick Fuentes, the less likely I am to like want to talk to him. Uh-oh, well, don't but, fall for the false flag. Yeah, but I don't want to fall for people knowing I know, that I know. it's like. I know. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that might be what it is. Because You're five D. That's possible. Because I had someone reach out to me, like very politely and like, hey, we'd love to make the case for actually having a conversation about this. Cool. And the 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 weird messages I get on Twitter are like trying to make it seem like he's a bad, like he, he's attacking us or whatever. Right. That's why I'm so. like, you know who we should have on Nick Fuentes. Oh, okay, <laughs> interesting. So uh, he got. I I don't know the full details. Like the, the the main issue is we have to like we we produce shows, so we want to figure out yeah. what what makes sense and what what's relevant. But people think we just like randomly like one day we'll be like, oh, let's have this guy I've never heard of come on the show. But I know who Nick is, and I, I know a little bit, and I'm talking with a friend who actually is very familiar with his circumstances, so uh, stay tuned. Let's see. Wolfhammer says, began fighting critical race theory in college in 92. Best day was when a black woman professor came in and tore down the idea right in front of all the white professors. <laughs> wow. Fierce. What is I don't know if that super chat is. I'm just going to skip it. Let's see. Mrs. Uploader says, big tech diversity is a Trojan horse made by career hungry. I'm a Facebook employee. Uh, made by career hungry. 90% employees are not are not white across big tech. 75% are not American. Apple iTunes team is 99% Indian. YouTube marketing is 95% women. Wow. Uh, Let's see. Nathan F says, Tim, you are moving in the right direction. I know it's hard to believe, but this type of division was planted in our country decades ago. Please check, check out G. Edward Griffin's clip, More Deadly Than War from 1969. You know what that is? Yeah, I think he's like warning against kind of communist infiltration. It's like a Cold War propaganda film that some people think is, is accurate for today. Hmm. I think it's that. Yeah. Hmm. It is. Spork, Spork Witch says, I was job hunting for the better part of a year in 2016-17. Once I stopped marking white male disabled veteran and marked decline to answer, decline to answer disabled veteran, my ratio of callbacks to applications doubled. You want to know what's crazy? When I was growing up, I was told by my parents never to mark down that I was Asian. Just put other. They they said, don't put anything. Or if you really want to, you know, uh, just like, yeah, other. I don't even don't put Caucasian. Specify I white. put other. Yeah. Don't put white. Don't put white. They said, don't put white or don't put Asian. I know a lot of biracial couples in, in my area that have basically counseled their kids to just say, try to pass as white on your applications because... The Asian penalty is like oh yeah, it's like huge. Four hundred SAT points or something extreme. I, w- yeah. I was told I'd be better off just trying to claim that I was Latino. Well, it'd be a lot better. I'd off. be like, yeah. they'd be like, "Are you Caucasian?" And I'm yeah. like, "No, I'm not from the Caucasus." That was always the weird thing. <laughs> I'm I, I worked. I worked with this guy uh, when I worked at American Eagle Airlines, and we were talking about all this stuff because it was super mixed. I was like Hispanic guys. There were guys from South America. There were Filipino guys, and then one dude, this like uh, this like tall black dude, got really angry out of nowhere, and he goes, "They keep calling me African American, but I'm from Haiti." <laughs> and we were like, "That's a good point." Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm not from Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then someone brought up Caucasus. They were like, Sorry. "Nobody in this room is from the Caucasus region. Why no, are they yeah. Caucasian? That's so weird." It's Ameri- time for the American race. Yeah. Correct, sir. 
Let's see. Flemish Populous says it has been demonstrated that the more you discriminate against someone for a specific characteristic, the more they identify themselves by that characteristic, i.e. race, gender, religion, etc. Interesting. Morgan Freeman speaks about that a lot. He's like, the best way to get rid of racism, stop calling me a black man, or stop calling you a white man, just call me a man. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's uh, at, at odds with critical race theory. Reaper, right. Reaperbot says, if the far left wants pro-abortion no matter what, which, gi- uh, which gives women the ability to opt out of parenthood, then maybe the U.S. should remove court-mandated child support so men no longer forced to help support a child they did not want to have. I've actually heard that argument from leftists. They've said that they're absolutely okay with if women have a right to choose, then men have a right to choose to sever. No, no. I don't know about that. What do you guys think? I don't think they're... I don't think they're equivalent. Yeah, they're yeah, not. It's like a false uh, analogy. Dichotomy, yeah. false. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. What does that say? Call Mellon says, Chris, fellow Washingtonian here. How do you Ooh. feel about Evergreen State College? I live in Olympia. I hate that school. <laughs> well, Evergreen State College is a great case study. This is the first college where kind of woke student mobs took over the campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the day of kind of separation or the day of... Uh, whatever they were calling it. They were forcing white students to leave the campus. And some brave, very progressive, very liberal professors stood up, the w- w- Weinstein and others, right. and they got booted off campus with a big, kind of the first scandal of the woke college mobs. You see that? You see and, the, the, the photo of them with the baseball bats? Gosh. Yeah, totally. That's your new uh, Chaz police force. Super yep. cringe. Um, but, but the thing that's really interesting about Evergreen right now is that their enrollment has dropped um, from like 5,000 something to 2,000. Mm-hmm. So they've been hit hard. And Free I think market. it shows again, like, like professional sports, like basketball, like these other things, they go really hard woke. Um, but then it does them enormous damage. So it's that the, makes me very happy. It's the economy, stupid. <laughs> yeah. Why would someone go to college? So they can have a better life and have the things they want and succeed. And so when you have people, and you, you know what? I'll tell you what. This is a sign that the polls may be wrong. Just some, just some side evidence. Parents talking to their kids and their kids are like, I want to go to school. And the parents are like, I want my kid to succeed, have a good job, get a good house, you know, have a family. Don't go to that school. Mm. You see the Jim Gaffigan. Uh, no, not Jim Gaffigan. Uh, Jim Brewer. Yeah. Jim you, Brewer, the guy from uh, Half-Baked? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got a stand-up. And, it, and I've, I've, I haven't seen the stand-up, but he's got a bit that was being marketed where he's like, so my daughter came home <laughs> from college and she's like, you can't say that, racist. Racist, you can't say that. You racist, racist, racist. And I'm paying for it. I want my money back. Right. Yeah. Hey, for the record, you weren't calling Chris stupid. The It's the economy stupid. It's a famous quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's that yeah, from? Yeah. What is it's that from? from? Uh, um, for a minute, I was like, yeah. What's, what's what? Car- 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 was it Carville? James Carville. James yeah. Carville. Yeah, yeah. Back, yeah. In, back in Clinton. It's the economy yeah. stupid. Yeah. So right now, you got people. I'll tell you what, man. I've met so many people. And a lot of them complain about how Trump acts and behaves. But the money's good. Dude, I know. Money's real good. Well, right right taxes. now, according to Gallup, 55% of Americans say they're better off now than four years ago. Let's see how good their memories are and if they can, you know, if they trust in Trump to get us out of this. Because if they're better off now than they were four years ago, that means under Biden, they weren't doing so well. And they're doing way better now under <laughs> That's Trump. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Ian Hall says, to Ian's point, Gattaca, eugenics for the win. Huh. I don't know if eugenics is a good thing. Uh, no. <laughs> no. The progressives were super into it back in the early 1900s. Oh, yeah. Margaret Sanger, baby. Is there any value to eugenics? Uh, no. I, I, I think, uh, I think you know, but but critical race theory is bizarrely kind of, eugenics is scientific racism about 100 years ago. And yeah. the, the idea is that you can reduce someone to an essential racial characteristic, you know, and then sort them into a hierarchy um, based on those characteristics. And it's, I mean, 
false science, right? But the, the, the critical race theorists do really the same thing. They say you can be reduced to whiteness or blackness. It's the same thing. It's race essentialism. And I just tell people race essentialism was wrong 100 years ago. It's wrong today. No good. Yeah. That's playing God, yeah. Kevin Klein says, Alex Jones is right. Prove me wrong. <laughs> well, um, put it that way. I don't know if I want to put together. You know what I was thinking? You, Have you, you had Alex Jones on the show? We're we, trying, we, man. Yeah, we yeah, want to. Trying? Okay. Yeah. And, we, yeah. and I want to get him yeah. here with like a leftist. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that would be like the greatest show ever. The greatest. So, uh, yes. Someone, so a leftist of similar, similar physical size. I feel like you well, need to have so, like an yeah. evenly matched mm -hmm. scenario. Yeah. We, we had this guy on Vosh and he's a YouTuber. He really is cool. I like him. Uh, a lot of people, he's great. A, a lot of people don't like him. A lot of people really don't like him because of comments he said in the past and they accuse him of all these things. He's and a and, human. and, and like a no, 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 listen, listen. Gamer. I don't no, care if you want to criticize him for all those dude. things. Everything the left says about Alex Jones, people on the right will say is ridiculous. It's wrong. And the left is defending Vosh. So you know what I said? They tried canceling Joe Rogan because he had Alex Jones on. Around the exact same time, people were getting mad at me for having Vosh on. I was like, my response to people is, I'm going to book him again. And he's a bo ex-boxer. Yeah. Like he's a big dude. Who, Vosh's? Vosh, yeah. Oh, really? He boxed. I was like, I'll, I'll, you, you, you tell me I can't book somebody, I'll book him again. Yeah. But uh, no, I want to book him with Alex Jones. Yes. So, oh, my well, God. So, so I tweeted. Fine. Well, I, I, I want to clarify, too. So I tweeted, I'd love to book them both at the same time to create a cancel culture singularity. Yes. I don't know if <laughs> there's so like. funny. Right. <laughs> Let's do it. A, a, uh, but it was a matter of circumstance. Not that I think Alex perfectly exemplifies a right-wing person or Vosh a left-wing person. It was just at that moment yeah. that's what people were saying so i was like great i'll bring them both on let's do oh it my god and i'm i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure they both would be down for like that kind of show and most people are most you, normal you, people are down with a wide range of opinions and and honestly you can say out of the box stuff and and it's only a kind of small minority a very kind of uh kind of small moral dictatorship uh, from both sides that wants to, you know, a lot of times like little things people say will get caught by the media and replayed over and yeah. over again. And that's what people think people are. And it's not at yeah. all what people are. <laughs> yes. OK, this is a good one. Uh, Stankly Balls says, Tim, <laughs> you need to get hammered on election night. And at the end of the night where you have a wrestling match with Vosh, uh -huh. then you then need to end the night where you take off the beanie, light it on fire and the color will show the results. Excellent. I'm pretty sure everyone is going to be watching the results too. And they're going to get notifications <laughs> if we know who won the president and you don't need me to no, light no, no. my beanie like on this. fire. I'm it. not going to know before anyone else. I want it. <laughs> Stephanie B says, just here to prove I'm real. Piss people off. Since I was bombarded for Super Chat saying Tim was attractive, I'm still real. Tim's still attractive. Too bad he thinks 27 is too young. Uh, P.S. Lydia has the most calming voice. Could hear her for hours. Oh, Very thanks, man. Well, there you go. Uh, let's see here. Super Chats. Jacob Brownfield says, dropped out of college in January 2017 because of critical race theory. I couldn't bring myself to write an essay about the culture of whiteness in America. Now I make 45 to 50K a year instead of taking a loan. Hey, well, there you go. Win-win, wow. huh? Good for mm -hmm. him. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Bazinski says, I realized a lot of audience is unprincipled for haranguing you getting guests they don't like. Free speech is free, and you exercise it. Well, I'll tell you something. We got, I think, 85% thumbs up on the Vosh episode. There are, re there are real reasons to criticize him. I'm not, I'm not defending anything he said or believes in, but only 15%. We're, we're upset that we actually booked uh, somebody. We had another person on the show. People weren't happy, but it's always around 10 or 15%. And I think it's because most of the people who watch me are kind of just chill, moderate, slightly to the right, maybe a little to the left, maybe libertarian, and they want to hear conversations and they want to see good ideas flourish. So I think 
look, if there's some people who don't like the show, you just don't watch it. That's it's really that simple. I will say, though, I want to clarify something. A lot of the people who are complaining clearly don't understand leftist tactics. Are you familiar with like leftist tactics with shutting down speech and stuff? Mm-hmm. You're familiar with deplatforming mm-hmm. and you're familiar. Are you familiar with no platforming? Yeah, they're different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, what people are saying is Tim Pool has a show, mm-hmm. which is a platform, and he shouldn't invite people to give them that platform. That's called no platforming. Mm-hmm. Deplatforming would be if I book someone and then I get barraged with hate demanding I ban him. Yeah. No platforming is saying no platform for X. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. I, I looked this up. I think it goes back to the 70s, actually. There was a movement in the UK, no platform for fascism or whatever. Hmm. And so they said they, they created a coalition within their universities. They would not allow any speakers to be given a platform. And as they said, you have a right to free speech. You can go speak wherever you want. I have no obligation to give you a platform. Right. That's called no platforming. It doesn't mean that I'm going to book everyone. And then people are saying, well, that means then Tim has to book this person. No, it doesn't. It means that if I choose to book someone, I'm not going to give in to people demanding I know platform ideas they don't like. In the yeah, future. That's ridiculous. Then there's no end point to that. There's no limit right. to that. So I have to just anyone you want. I got to put him on the show to prove to you. No, no. platform. No just platform. Another thing, too, you know, within your audience and your friends, if people, you know, some people get a principled disagreement with you, of course. And I think you would engage with that. But you have to separate people that. You cannot please with people that you can have a d- dialogue with. And this yeah. might be one of those cases. I don't know. Yeah. Some people are saying it's because he's a he's a grifter. He's a, you know, Vosh is a bad faith actor or whatever. And I'm like, mm. look, man, that may be true. But they say the same thing about me. They say the same thing about Ben Shapiro. They say the same thing about Alex Jones. So it's like grifter I don't... is a meaningless word at this point. It is. I mean, it's yeah. like it's like it's like in the in the 90s when a band sold out. Oh, there's sellouts. It's like that's good right good. yeah we, we should sell out a show like, yeah Sounds like great. yeah you know, you ever, the you, whole point yeah mm-hmm. you ever watch monk debates uh yes yeah you know what i would love i would love if like jordan peterson and alex jones were on one side oh my god and then you had just like i wouldn't know who you'd have on the left but the idea is to get like an, a serious intellectual with like, good Steve ideas bannon on a monk debate oh yeah i saw that yeah, yeah, yeah. but like interesting yeah not uh alex jones is a very bombastic entertaining fella putting him next to a jordan peterson professor and then doing the same thing for the left and like debate. And then you have, you know, Jordan. I don't know how he would deal with Alex or Alex with Jordan, but oh it would be really God. funny, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like them trying to argue on the same side. You'll eventually have quantum computers and artificial intelligence that'll be able to like set up a Tim Pool versus whoever you want to see debate. And then it'll happen as the artificial intelligence thinks Tim would be. And so you don't have to force Tim to have 80 million people on the show. You just simulate it later. Simulate it. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Uh, Aiden Paladin says, thank you, Chris. All the CRT opponents getting called ignorant should read CRT studies. They have been so much worse and more egregious in the mainstream for 35 years. It's unbelievable racism. I would absolutely agree with that. And uh, Aiden, come on the show. We have a bunch of people who want it. We, we have a list of people who want to book on the show. Anton Maxson says, has anyone ever pondered the question about the extreme contrast that has unfolded after the 2012 Mayan prophecy scare? Love the show. Great work. Let me tell you. I remember a long time ago, December 21st, 2012, they said, right? Oh, yeah. And they said, the world's going to end. And then people started saying, it was very simple. No, the calendar just stops and then starts over. It would be like saying, December 31st, the world's going to end because the calendar stops. But I read something a long time ago, uh, way before 2012, I was on, on the internet, that the Mayan prophecy was actually about a great awakening that would have, uh, would create, it would, It was a great awakening that would occur where people would start to understand each other more and gradually come to know each other's thoughts. And I read that and I was like, I wonder what that means. 
and then 2012 was when we started seeing in political campaigning the use of social media very heavily. Mm. And then Twitter became more and more prominent. And now we are in the world where everyone can see everyone's thoughts on Neural Twitter. Neuralnet is around the corner. Elon Musk. What is a uh, Neuralink? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Dude, we really are learning each other's thoughts with the uh, internet. It's yeah. Wild. Jeff Norman says, bring back the UFO spinning tabletop thing. I got you one better. Yeah, we do. I, I believe it's downstairs. I think we got to go get it. It's oh. a, it's a, it's a, uh, so the UFO was a levitating lamp and I ordered a levitating potted plant. Nice. So I thought it would be funny because the plant is actually alive. So what we have is we have this duster for the table and people would be like, spin the UFO. And then we would turn the air on and spin it. Now we're going to have this poor potted plant spinning at high rates of speed. Yes. Not understanding what's happening. Oh, I don't, I, no. Not that the, the plant has a brain or anything. It's live plant abuse. Yes. Uh, I'm excited. I don't think it'll actually have a negative impact on the plant. It be but good. If, it, if, it, if it will, then It'd I will. really good. Uh, I don't think it will. I mean, I don't know. It'll be good, yeah. But it might, the water might, you know, get, you know, centripetal mm. force or whatever. So I'll, I'll make sure we don't actually, we got two recommendations here. Eric sa- uh, says, you and Jimmy Dore got to have a three hour session. I, I went on Jimmy Dore's show before and Jimmy's uh, definitely invited. I would love to have Jimmy. Jimmy's awesome. Uh, Craig F says, book Andy No. Uh, we're trying, man. We, we, we have we're a list of people book. that we've actually reached out to a lot so of them. I haven't, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I will, and I will stress on our list of potential guests. Yes, is Nick Fuentes. Um, I've been talking to some people. Yeah, I bring this up because I suppose if, if there really is people messaging me the tactic of like mentioning him, it's working. Congratulations, you know, but we, we have a list of a lot of people. My thing is like, uh, you know what, man, we, we do a, 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 a sort of a journalistic thing. I don't, I don't, I hate the word journalism at this point because everyone always argues who is and who isn't. Who's writing in his journal now? No, but you know, look, we've had, we've had people on where it's been, a very like serious interview, like we had with the Proud Boys guy, you know, Proud Boys guy, Ian Guitario on, and we want to ask them questions, we don't understand them, and it's it's more journalistic than the average conversational, mm. you know, podcast kind of thing. And so we have a list of people that we want for very serious shows, people we want for very conversational shows, and we're trying to put together uh, relevant conversations about things that are happening, and it includes a lot of people. And some of some of these people, I'm like, I think I will get banned when we book that person, but hey, why not? Whatever. If we can't, who are those people? Uh, I, I can't pull anybody off the top of my head, but certainly Enrique Tario was one of them. Yeah. We were that concerned. Happen. It's fine. No, right. Or Alex Jones, even. Alex There's, Jones, you yeah. know, we're going to get all the attempts and even someone like Nick Fuentes. But I'm like, if a journalist needs one, if, if somebody, if, if we're going to get to the root of what's going on in this country and who these people are who have followings and have ideas, we need to understand them. We need to talk to them. That's it. Let's see. Uh, someone mentioned Steve Bannon. Um, Steve Bannon would be welcome as well. It'd be very interesting. I, the, you know, the challenge is I, I want to get leftists. It's impossible to book them. Yeah. We can, we can like, look at this. We got, we got one guy being like, Tim, book this guy now, book him, book him. And they're like, you have to book him. And it's like, okay, okay. Well, we'll maybe, maybe not. Well, we, you know, we're, we're working through our list of what we think would make for, you know, good shows. And it's not super easy. It's, it's, it's a relevant. job. And, uh, the leftists we want to book, they usually ignore or say no. Or they've, they'll lie publicly and be like, I'll come on your show. I'm not scared. I'm not really going to come. Yeah. And then they don't show up. And then it's on me to be like, I don't know why they didn't come. Then they'll make up an excuse. Well, it's because of COVID. I can't actually go in there. And it's like, okay, whatever, man. 1991 Shadowheart says, Tim, have jo- uh, JBP and Vosh on for a lively debate. When the good doctor has recovered. Also, Dankula on the stream. When? Yes. D- Dankula, of course. Anytime. I, yeah, anytime. But the, the challenge is Dankula and Sargon are both in the UK. Rude. So mm. it's like international travel, COVID. It's not super easy. 
Anyway, we've actually gone a little bit, uh, uh, we've gone way over today. Just a little, yeah. So uh, how about, do you want to mention anything, your socials, any programs, anything you're doing, Chris? Yeah, I mean, you just started to really be active on Twitter the last six months, and it's been actually a lot of fun, and um, is a tremendous boost, and I think it's just been fascinating to watch, and obviously you know this, probably a lot of your listeners know, but um, things that happen on Twitter influence the real world in powerful ways, and uh, it's just been great to um, take ideas, take research, take um, investigative reports that I've been doing and actually putting it out there so i'd love uh, to engage with all of uh, your listeners your fans what's your um, account it's at real chris rufo just at real chris rufo r-u-f-o um, r-u-f-o yeah and um and it's R-U-F-O. great f-o yeah, yeah. Oh, Ooh, i'm not are you spinning the ufo but um yeah it's really good and powerful and i think like we can do tremendous good on a lot of these issues and and people in very powerful places uh they listen they watch it and um and uh just great. So cool. really Dude, didn't you just do a documentary? I did, yeah, in a weird um, kind of uh, a scary kind of parallel track. I had produced, a, I directed a documentary, a feature. Actually, you know what? We can, we can send send your folks this. Uh, um, I directed a documentary for PBS, um, and it broadcast nationally on PBS on Tuesday. Uh, meanwhile, the critical race theory stuff that oh, I've been wow. doing was a very hairy process. I was really convinced that at some point that PBS was going to cancel me because wow. we can't have anti-critical race theory guy yeah. broadcasting on, you know, kind of Halo pink, oh, uh, PBS. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man, it's a matter of time before I get the call. And then sometimes uh, and then but I kind of kept them going on parallel tracks. We had the broadcast. But um, for anyone who's watching or who's a fan, uh, you can rent the film on Amazon. But even better, um, you can just go to AmericaLostFilm.com slash premiere uh and you can watch it for free um and for me it's you know it's not a money thing it's really just getting a, a lot of people to see it's it and i, I cool. look at i spent you know five years um actually documenting life in three of america's poorest cities right on um, so that's that's the, that's the film well if you haven't already smashed the like button it's uh friday we're back on monday should we announce who our monday guest is sure is it is that He's cool coming. Yeah, I think so. Jack Posobiec, yes. right? It's yeah. Jack? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, Jack's like, whoa, we'll make sure. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to say his name. Wait a minute. It, it is, right? right? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, Jack. Jack, Jack from Jack. One American News. He's got like a million followers. I'm excited. Um, you know, big personality. He's going to come hang out. And then we have election day the next day. So wow. it's going to get crazy. We're going to have an open party. It's going to, I don't know who's going to come on the stream. I guess you got a quantum physicist is going to come. Yes. And... He will tell you he's not a quantum physicist, but he studied his bachelor's in science. He's a genius. All right. All right. Cool. I'm excited. So we're going to have some, some crazy conversations throughout the night. Chicken we're gonna parm. we're gonna open up this like this i'm gonna run the stream all night we're just gonna like walk away and yeah. there'll be people hanging out here having pizza and beer and we're gonna have the election on right there's a tv over there you go to bed. and then throughout the house we're gonna have a bunch of people playing video games hanging skate and all that good stuff so uh stick around we'll be back monday with a great show of course you can follow ian yes at ian crossland you can follow me on most social platforms including twitter instagram youtube and, and, and you can of course follow at sour patch lids i'm over here follow me sour patch lids l y d Yes. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Parlor at uh, TimCast. And you can also follow me on YouTube with my other channels, YouTube.com slash TimCast and YouTube.com slash TimCast News. And I will also add, if you have been following me on Instagram, I have been posting a cryptic countdown. <laughs> Super cryptic. Uh, because I'm actually releasing a music video. Yeah. Super Interesting. Cool. Uh, fully full production, full cool. uh, uh, animation. And it is coming out November 2nd, the day before all the election, because it is about... Uh, very much so it is about violent revolution and the cycle oh, of violence. Wonderful. And it is, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna- It's a real uplifter, huh? Yeah, yeah I'm only, excited. Oh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really, like, I've been, I've been, uh, I wrote the story, I wrote the song, and then, you know, uh, Nishra produced the music and did all, all the, like, the, everything but the music on top. 
And then we got uh, some animators to animate the story. And it is when I wrote it, I'm like, this is a good story. Now I've seen it 50 billion times and I'm just like, <laughs> so uh, I'm assuming it's good. It is good. It's quite good. From what I've seen, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's for me, it's all about the video and the song was written to it. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll show you after the show. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we'll be back Monday with, with, I believe Jack, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't cancel. Come on, Jack. Don't you gotta come. come on, and uh, thanks for hanging out and we will see you all then.